Big Weekend Gaming, a podcast that dives into gaming news, analysis, and reviews. If you'd like to help contribute to the growth of this podcast and community, please leave us a five-star review, as it helps people find us. With that said, let's get on with the show. Shut up! Big Week's on the radio! Shut up! It's Gaming Park the Studio! Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's been a big week in gaming. I'm Intergot and he's Swinney for episode 2 on Sunday the 26th of July. In this week's show, we'll be discussing the big Xbox game showcase, including some gameplay footage of Halo Infinite and a bunch of new premieres. And a not-so-big Nintendo Direct Mini uh, that I like, by the way. And our perspectives and fan reactions to these events. Starting off with the first news item, which was... Uh, Redmond, Washington-based technology and video game company, Microsoft. They held their Xbox game showcase this past week. And seemingly, from my perspective, it was a bit of a response to the criticism of their last reveal event, which heavily focused on gameplay this time um, and where they could and where it was possible. Kicking off with the first item that we want to chat about, which is Halo Infinite. They showed nine minutes of Halo Infinite gameplay on uh, coming from Microsoft's home-based Xbox Game Studio 343 Industries. Uh, they took the reins from the Halo franchise from the second-party developer Bungie back in 2010, where Bungie's last game was the Halo Reach game. That was a really, really good game. Uh, 343 have developed two mainline additions to the Halo franchise in Halo 4 and 5, and a bunch of spin-offs and remasters, including the initially Rocky and now well-received Master Chief Collection, which we mentioned last week. Uh, I, I think, you know, obviously this presentation uh, very much focused on the gameplay to a point where it was, to me, a little bit awkward. Um, and it is going to be a launch title for the Xbox Series X and then come to the Xbox One, of course. Swinney, what were your thoughts on the Halo trailer? Hello, Degots. Um First, just before I give <laughs> my thoughts on Halo. Yes, Halo. Um we're doing this podcast very early, so um, I'm I'm going to try my best to stay awake. You know, I, I will <laughs> say that I just finished a cup of coffee, um, <laughs> and I did make the mistake last night of going to sleep very late, and so I just wanted to just just give you heads up that you know, hopefully I don't fall asleep. And <laughs> I it, I think it was like one o'clock, and then I decided made the great decision to watch an hour-long video on how someone can beat Final Fantasy IX with only using the attack command. So it's <laughs> self-imposed, let me just put it that way. Uh, I think we, we had similar journeys. I went to bed, well, I was trying to go to bed, it was probably around 2am, and then my dog refused to come inside, it was raining overnight, and I had to go out and change and get my dog back in and wipe him all down and clean him up. I, I think there's something in the garden I've got to investigate later today. And I do have a very long, long, very strong black uh, coffee on my desk at the moment <laughs> as we work through the podcast. But I am excited to talk about this stuff. Yes. Um, okay. Including like Halo, like which we probably should say, you know, we have a bit of history with Halo. Uh, we played a hell of a lot of Halo 3 back on the 360. And I I really love that game. Um it's it's actually probably uh, just thinking about it. I you know not many console shooters I even like. You know I'm much more of a first person shooter on PC kind of person. But you know that game just felt like it was just 
engineered from the ground up for console. Um, and, you know, that's one thing I really hope that they capture that magic with Halo Infinite. Um, but yeah, what, what were your thoughts on the on the footage and the trailer? So I I thought it was really good. I will say it's a couple of things that they focused on that um, I, I like the whole hey we're going to show how the the suit is built kind of stuff that was neat. But the whole big monologue from the big baddie at the end, I was a bit like hmm. I guess it mm. would appeal to someone. Um, you know, it was a good monologue, but just uh, I don't know. It just kind of felt like the wrong kind of thing to to finish off what I thought was a pretty good little snippet of gameplay. And I think comparing this to Halo 3 is very apt in many ways because we're looking essentially the the big title for, you know, flagship title for a new console. Halo 3, while it wasn't out at launch for 360, I don't believe, it would came very soon after launch. I could be wrong on that, by the way. But... Um, but it was definitely the big, I guess, the big hitter for the 360. And mm. at the time, just like Halo Infinite, a lot of people were saying, well, it doesn't look that flashy and that great. And Halo 3 ended up looking quite good and running fantastically. And I think there's a, yeah, there's definitely a, a comparison to be made with this because some people are just saying, well, you know, oh, it kind of looks like Halo, you know, just just probably a little bit nicer. And I I think that downplays it a lot. You know, I think it was a Mm. really good um, vertical slice of what the game's going to be. We know what it's going to play like. It's Halo. Um, That's what people want. Why would they change it? Um, So they gave people the Warthog. They gave people the Battle Rifle. um, They gave people the Sticky Grenades. um, But then they threw some new stuff in. So I think they... This is almost a bit of a soft reset in some ways, even though it's definitely continuing on the narrative threads of Halo 5. I think from the public's perception, um, this is probably a bit of a chance to really reclaim that magic. Mm, Yeah. So I just checked, uh, and it's a really interesting comparison around Halo 3 to Halo 2. So Halo 3 came out about a year and a half after the 360 launch. But from my perspective... Well, but from my perspective, I do think of it as a launch game. Um, it, I, I'm, I don't know. I think I must have picked up a 360 around the time that Halo 3 was coming out. So it's very synonymous in my mind. Um, and it was like they both came at a time where the franchise was in an interesting spot. You know, Halo 2 was so well received and people still love that game so much. Um, I kind of look at it and go, I, I, I actually think it's it's shifted a bit. And maybe Halo 3 is held in higher regard now over Halo 2. I don't know. It's probably a controversial statement in the Halo community. Um, whereas, you know, Halo 4 and 5, you know, they're pretty well received, but they, it didn't seem to break through the the sort of the crowd that really loves those games. Like, it, it to me, didn't really break through into the PlayStation community, for instance. I think with this, the Reach is probably the last one that moved the needle, um, mm. essentially. Um especially in regards to multiplayer. And I will say this upfront that I haven't played Halo 4 and 5. So this is not a judgment on the quality of the games at all or the multiplayer. But I definitely know that with when they started introducing a lot more of the... I don't know the exact Halo term for it. Um, I, I did know it at some point. But basically the burn card style um, introducing 
you know, I think Call of Duty have their burn cards, these kind of like usable perks that you kind of collect as you play games and, and unlock packs and things like that. Mm. If they introduce a lot more of that stuff, I think kind of that's where the public kind of, I guess, their, their overall um, affinity kind of started to wane a bit. And yeah. That's why I think for this for Halo Infinite, especially the multiplayer, because I think that's going to be the key to the success of this game. Honestly, um, from a you know from an overall standpoint, um, is are they going to bring a bit back to basics on that um, with you know maybe expanding the scope of some of the the large scale kind of modes? Because I definitely think that avoiding any kind of microtransactions and things like it's probably going to have a battle pass just like you know the call of duties and stuff which is fine you know that that's that's the nature of the games of those kind of games these days um but i think they definitely need to try to they need to entice people like us to play the multiplayer um because we're the people that loved halo 3 specifically and i loved reach multiplayer it's probably my favorite um halo multiplayer and i will say i've only really played Halo 1 multiplayer, Halo 3, ODST and Reach. Um, but Reach was my favourite. Um, but Reach started, you started to see those those elements creeping in, such as the different loadouts and things. And I'm, I'm much more of a fan, honestly. Um, I'm fine with loadouts, but as long as the multiplayer sets everyone up with even ground for every match, and we don't have any kind of progression-based skills perks and things that i'm a fan of making sure that everyone from the get-go is on even ground basically yeah and you know i, I want to reference a, a really really good video from a, a pretty interesting youtube creator chris Raygun. i'm not sure if you've even heard of him he um does the sacred symbol podcast with colin moriarty uh just like one of the bigger playstation podcasts but he he's a huge xbox fan and like mega halo fan and he actually did a whole video of what he wants from Infinite. This was a while back. Um, but his his analysis of Halo, I think it's really, it's actually an interesting take that I haven't heard other people talk about. And he, he like, you know, his essential thesis, I think, is around, you know, you don't need enhanced mobility for Master Chief, uh, you know, in the game because you've got all the vehicles and you've got all these other options. You actually want to have it so that it's actually it's more competitive in a way because there's less variability and less new, like, you know, little funny things that they add into like, and, and sort of, you know, when I was watching it and I sort of saw like the grappling hook and all of these other options and sprinting and all of this kind of stuff, I was like, I, I don't know if that's like the best path for Halo. Cause there is something about the way that Halo worked and moved that actually made sense to me and also made sense being a console game. And just watching it and sort of seeing, oh, you know, that they've got sprinting and all these kind of things. I'm like, oh, I, I just don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's going to work and if that's going to group people like it did in the old days. I I think the, the grapple hook is really awesome because there's people already do crazy stuff with Halo. Like the amount of funny clips that are out, are out there of people, you know, stacking up warthogs and doing crazy stuff. And I think when you add the... Grapple hooking, you're just going to end up with hilarious videos. And I think that's a really good addition. With sprinting, I completely understand why they would want to um, have that in this. Now, I, with that said, I don't know if sprinting is new 
to this game. Uh, sprinting was it's not sprinting was a, a one of the loadout options mm. in Halo Reach, but I don't know about four and five. I imagine they would have had it in four and five at least. Yeah, they. I think from memory they introduced it in four as like a standard thing. And I I actually agree with that for the very basic reason that the first person shooter gameplay systems and what people expect from controls has has actually kind of moved on from, I guess, Halo 3 era. Um, whenever I play first-person game, if I don't have the ability to kind of, you know, have a sprint, it does feel very odd. Now, if it wasn't there, you'd get used to it and you'd work around it. Um, and I under- I do, I guess, understand the the very hardcore Halo fans that feel that it has disrupted the classic gameplay. I understand that, but I think that you're not appealing to the hardcore Halo fans with this game. You're appealing to the general masses. And I think that if that's not there, a lot of people would feel that the game is very sluggish, especially multiplayer. Mm. So I do think it is a, it's a very fine balancing act that 343 have to, um, you know, that have to tackle. And I think that, yeah, like they, they do need to, I think, bring it a bit back to basics, but they do need, I guess, those things that people expect. Um, I'm a little less um, a fan of the, I think it's, um, I can't remember the exact title. There's an acronym for it, but basically the the iron sights, you know, the Call of Duty, okay, aim your gummy, look down the sights, as opposed to the Counter-Strike, hey, you know, there's no aiming down sight kind of option. It's just like what Halo was. Um, mm. I they didn't show much of that, if anything at all, in the trailer, um, in the gameplay. So I hope that they kind of only keep that for you know your sniper rifles and anything that's got the actual scope, um, because yeah. I think that's when it actually takes it away from being Halo to me to being, hey, it's it feels like Call of Duty or Battlefield because you can aim downsides. Mm. Yeah, I, look, I think ultimately. I, I look. I agree in terms of they can add things into the series, and you probably need to do that to keep the audience fresh, and also to keep the developers fresh so that they're interested. You know that that's quite a, I think that's quite an understated thing for a lot of these games. You know, you actually want your development team to be enthused and enthusiastic about making the game, and they're going to bring the right energy into the game if they are enthused. Um, it, it's just a lot to balance, and not many games balance it well, and they kind of strike a formula and they almost stick to it and just tweak it. Um, where it seems like, you know, no one talks about the Halo 4 and 5 multiplayer, whereas, like, <clears throat> people still play the Halo 2, Halo 3 multiplayer, and there's, like, variants that you can play on PC as well. So, yeah, it, it's just one of those balance things that they'll have to get right. Um, so we'll move on to the second item, which is around Forza Motorsports. So they, we were teased with a trailer, no release date. Uh, they made it very clear that it was in-game engine. <laughs> Um, and that was plastered everywhere. And this is coming from the Turn 10 Studios that's under the Xbox Game Studio umbrella, which most of these uh, trailers are from. And the game will be running at 4K, 60 frames per second. Forza, what do you think, Swinney? It's a, sort of a mainstay of Xbox now, isn't it? It is. And it, it will probably become obvious the more episodes we do when it gets to you know the time when this game comes out. Um, I'm not really a racing game motorsport fan in any way or a sports fan in general but um i forza 2 was very good <laughs> that's a long time ago <laughs> um i'm i'm much more of a fan of i've played a lot more of the forza horizon games from playground games yeah. and 
they're great. Um, they're obviously very different. They're very arcadey, um, you know, the whole open world element. Um, but in terms of Forza Motorsport, um, look, it looked fantastic. Um, in, just like Gran Turismo, they showed the snippet in the PlayStation um, event uh, last month. I thought it was last month. Um, they it any any car games are going to be great to show off a new console and the whole in engine. Obviously, it was a it was they they would have had effects and things like that, but it was it it looked fantastic. Um, and it's yeah, I think it's going to be a great showcase. Yeah, and you know, it actually to me, and I will say this about the PlayStation reveal as well. To me, it was probably personally the only game that actually looked next gen. It looked incredible. It looked like I was watching it going, wow. This, I, I, if someone didn't say this was a game, I would just think it's some footage from a garage or something like that. It was really actually incredible. Um, and, and, you know, you've got PlayStation, you've got Xbox, they've got Gran Turismo, they've got Forza. Honestly, like if you're a racing fan, like, in the, in like a bit more sim fan, I, I think you're well served either platform. I don't think that's going to steer you one way or the other. I don't think like you, you always have one of those games that you can go back to and play probably on the Xbox side. You've got more refreshed releases of Forza, whereas Gran Turismo, I know that they've slowed down a little bit. So, and, and just speaking of uh, Forza Horizon, uh, moving on to our next item, which is from Playground Games that develop Forza Horizon. And I don't know if we actually have confirmation if they're still developing that i think they've branched out and grown their studio they're a british-based developer under the xbox studio brand they had as a one more thing in the xbox game showcase a new fable game that no one knew about it was the best keep secret in the industry man what a surprise (laughs) well it was it was a surprise that they that they did finally um actually you know draw the curtains back slightly um for this but yeah, it's it's so refreshing. Just just imagine working at Playground Games, and I think I started seeing rumors about Fable being made by then, at least a year and a half ago. It was well before last year's E3. Just imagine working there, and while everyone knows that it's happening, you cannot say anything to anyone for that amount of time. Like whenever I've worked at a company and we have to keep a secret, it's annoying, even though it's a secret no one will care about. This is something people care about and you can't say anything. It's how annoying is having to keep that secret for so long. It's so interesting you say that because I've, you know, worked on a lot of very market sensitive stuff. For me, it doesn't bother me at all, like keeping that stuff secret. Like it doesn't, but I have observed that, yeah, some people are really like, just boils them up. They're like, oh, I want to talk about, you know, and I'm not revealing anything now. This is a long, long time ago. I'm working on this transaction with, cricket australia and they're going to do all this stuff with you know how you know cricket australia is going to work and you know it has a lot of impacts into normal culture that you deal a lot with but for me i'm always like eh. <laughs> you know it's it's sensitive for a reason you i, I think i'd be a good uh, employee at nintendo <laughs> just be like i don't care i've been working on <clears throat> the follow-up to metroid for like 10 years or whatever it's just like oh, okay that's my job but yeah it, it obviously does bother a lot of people though yeah so um the I, I might take the reins a bit on this one because I'm very familiar with the Fable franchise. Yeah. Um, so this is the this is the first true follow up to Fable Three. So the the last mainline game was Fable Anniversary, um, which was a remake of Fable One. Then they did have Fable: The Journey, which is like the on rails shooter that P- 
Peter Molyneux said wasn't on rails. Um, there was also <laughs> a couple of smaller spin-offs. Um, one that didn't eventuate, which was Fable, I think it was Legends. So that was kind of an asymmetrical uh, multiplayer game that ended up getting canned after being developed for a long time. And it was around this time when Lionhead Studios was actually disbanded and Peter Molyneux left to go do Peter Molyneux things. Um, <laughs> and there was also, I believe, a card uh, collection, a card collecting kind of uh, card battling game that was put together by another dev um, with the Fable name. I can't remember the exact title of that. But it's the first true follow-up since Fable mm. 3, which is ages ago and i'm a huge fan of fable 3 um i think it's very underrated um i think it's the best game in the series that um and i've played all of them with the exception of those couple of spin-offs but they it, it was great they didn't show much but they had stephen fry doing the voiceover which is great because he's one of the mainstay voice actors for the last couple of titles um doesn't mean that reva is coming back specifically but even if stephen fry is just doing some promotional work or potentially some voiceover work if the cutscenes that'd be great regardless. Um, but the tone of the trailer um, at least confirms that hey, they're they're sticking with the fable kind of crude humor, and that's good because if you would have changed it to something else like you know made it like very grim dark or um, you know overly cartoony as well, um, then I think it would have taken what actually makes fable special to play because. I like the Fable games, but from a gameplay perspective, um, they're 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 just slightly above average. I think you know I enjoy playing them, but it's the charm of the world and the humor that that actually hooks uh, most people. I reckon. So mm. it's it's good. Um, no release date though, unfortunately. But um, I would have to say it's probably at earliest um, like the end of next year. Yeah, oh, I, yeah, I can't even see that happening. Well, the only reason I, really I think the only reason I think that is, again. sorry, uh, I think the only reason I think that is because it has been in development for so long, but they just mm. didn't probably have it to the point where they could put together an actual snippet of gameplay, which is a shame. Um, but because it's been in development for so long, playground games, while this isn't a car game like Forza Horizon, um, has. You know their turnaround on the Forza Horizon games is is really really um, good. So I reckon that they're, they're they're very efficient developers. But this is a very a brand new style of game for them, at least my knowledge. Um, so yeah, yeah, and I think that they only expanded that studio in twenty eighteen. And look, they could have been working on it a lot earlier, but it was like late twenty eighteen where they where it was sort of understood that they were hiring and expanding. Um, their studio to do an open world action RPG game, which is Fable 4 or whatever it's going to be called. It seems maybe it's going to be called Fable. Um, It's a real strange one, this Fable game, because, I mean, I I can't find the sales figures on Fable, but I never played Fable, but it was always held in really uh, high regard from what I understood and the buzz around it. And, you know, you had a pretty consistent release of games and then it just really stopped at Fable 3, and they just never really went on with it. It was quite strange from a non-fan perspective of like, hey, what's going on here? Yeah, I mean, Anniversary was definitely a substantial release at the time um, because while it was a remake of number one, it it was essentially, they it was remade from the ground up. There was nothing like it. Um, it was nothing like the first in terms of 
um, engine or anything like that. But with Fable 3, Fable 3 was uh, was very mixed, the response to it, because they they took it in a direction. They, they started modernizing some of it. So it was very, I wouldn't say steampunky, more like industrial era. They started having off factories and things like that. As opposed to, hey, it's a medieval fantasy world with you know with uh, dwarves and, and magic and, and things like that. So I think they tried to kind of you know bring these cool elements into it, but not everyone responded to it in, in the most positive way. But I loved it. Um, I thought Fable Three was fantastic. So. Mm. We also saw a new RPG from Obsidian, uh, set in the Pillars of Eternity world and universe. No release date, but like I. I hadn't heard anything about this game and this just seems like a total no-brainer to me and like could be a huge huge hit on Xbox's hands. What were your thoughts? Look, this is this is probably one of the most exciting um I guess uh, announcements or parts of this whole showcase because Everyone was expecting what Obsidian were going to do after Grounded. Um I think some people were a little disappointed in that Obsidian weren't working on an RPG. They're working on this, you know, survival title, which we'll kind of, you know, um, probably touch on when we get to what else was covered in the showcase. But mm. I think it was really great. You had essentially a a, a, th- a three hit punch with Obsidian. Um, you know, we're going to get we'll quickly, you know, cover the Outer Worlds DLC and Grounded. But then they just, I think, they just floored everyone, saying, "Hey, we've got we've got a massive new RPG." Um, by saying massive. I think we've got to temper our expectations a little bit because Obsidian has their their games generally aren't you know considered these huge open world games like you had Fallout New Vegas that was definitely a larger world but everyone's thinking with uh, the out of out of worlds that hey it's basically going to be uh, like Fallout but it wasn't it was a much more contained um experience with smaller maps and things like that so i think that we need to make sure that we don't kind of think okay this is going to be a gigantic skyrim sized overworld don't assume that if it is then you know that might be great it might be you know the direction they take it might be even better but i i think this is super exciting um i think the trailer probably wasn't my favorite thing um but mm. hey it it got the point across and I think they should have actually mentioned, hey, it's, it's you know, that it is related to Pillars of Eternity because I think that a lot of people found out about that after the fact. And that kind of, I think, you know, would have actually appealed to a lot more people. So, um, but hey, it's, uh, I think it's a great idea. And I'd never played Pillars of Eternity 2. The first one was really enjoyable um, and had a really cool world. So I think it's got a lot of potential. Yeah, and and I I think you're right. I don't think that this will be hundreds of hours worth of side quests and all those kind of things. I I couldn't imagine them doing something like that. They've always sort of stuck to very edited sort of experiences. And what I mean by that, not in a negative sense at all, it feels like, you know, all the games I've ever played from Obsidian, they try to remove a lot of the fat that you find in a lot of these games. And to me, I actually like that. I like developers... In studios that respect your time and you know there's nothing wrong with having you know billions of side quests and fetch quests and you know i'm guilty of doing that kind of stuff with breath of the wild and sort of getting through everything in that game like totally unnecessarily just more because i liked being in that world but 
you know, I think there is something to say about <clears throat> having a game in this category that is edited and is a 40, 50 hour experience and not like a, you know, yes, it could be hundreds of hours or it could be 80. Like, I think there is like something to be said about that, that there is a place in the market for something like that. Um, and, you know, obviously I'll probably have more of a business head on these things or perspective, I should say. And for me, you know, if you're Phil Spencer and you get a studio like Obsidian, like seriously, you're just going, hey, when, when are we going to get Xbox Skyrim that's exclusive to the console? Because that is going to drive people onto Xbox, no doubt. No doubt in my mind. Yeah, definitely. And I'm I'm hoping we hear more about this within the next 12 months. Um, it could possibly be longer than that, that we actually do start to hear more news. But I'd like to just, you know, learn more about what they're planning to do with the game. And yeah, and... It's it's good to have something to look forward to like this. Mm. And for something completely different, Tetris Effect is coming to Xbox in the form of a new mastered version of the game called Tetris Effect Connected. This looked really cool. I actually didn't pick what this trailer was <laughs> as I was playing. I was like, what is this game? <laughs> and I'm like, this, this music sounds so familiar. Um, as my wife is a huge, huge, huge and very good Tetris player, uh, she basically actually unlocked almost all the achievements on her first game in Tetris Effect when we booted it up on PS4, which was quite hilarious, actually. Um, this game looks really, really cool, and it's a new multiplayer mode. Doesn't seem like it has any VR. Uh, it, I, I'm just trying to recall. Was it coming onto Xbox One as well as Xbox Series X? Mm, I don't have it in the notes. I don't seem to remember that. Mm. Um, I My assumption is it's coming to Series X. Um, but Only and not to uh, Xbox that's One? That's my assumption. Um, yeah. I'm not based in any kind of uh, knowledge. Just to... and, and, you know, like that kind of does hit on something that... I, you know, we'll talk about, I just checked that then it is coming on Xbox one oh, cool. um, at the end of the year. So it looks like a launch title with the series X and it's also coming to game pass, which to me is massive. Like a game like this, I, I think Tetris 99 on Nintendo switch online actually drives a lot of people to keep Nintendo switch online. Cause it's just a free game that comes with Nintendo switch online, you know, game pass and having this game, I think people will get really upset if they ever remove the game from game pass. Cause this is, just the kind of game you can always just chill out and veg out to and jump back in. But it, just touching on the point, sorry, that I was trying to make around, uh, you know, what consoles or what it's coming to, that, you know, we'll cover it a little bit, little bit later, just in the overall wrap-up thoughts about the event, but it did get a bit confusing as to what consoles were receiving what and PC and, you know, the fact that we're not even sure on some of these things is probably indicative of, of you know, how it was presented to some degree. Yeah, and I think, look, with the, with probably a, a couple of exceptions, at least you know that if you've got an Xbox One or you've got an, an Xbox Series X, you're likely going to be able to play most of these games that have been covered in, you know, today's showcase. So at least there's that kind of understanding. I think there's there's only a couple that when they got to that they didn't actually have the Xbox One name on it. And I'm, I'm one of those probably was about, I imagine. Um, but yeah, it's, I'm, I'm looking forward to trying this. Um, I, I do love Tetris and Tetris Effect um, from, uh, I can't remember his name, Mizuguchi, the, the guy who did Rares, um, you know, it's his, he's the one behind Tetris Effect and Luminaires and, and Meteor yeah. and things like that. And it's, it's 
always fantastic. You know, I'm, I I listened to um, uh, Giant Bomb a lot. It was their game of the year. And funnily enough, one of their ex-members uh, was actually in the trailer as one of the streamers in the blocks. So that was actually really funny <laughs> to see awesome. Dan Reichert. But uh, yeah, I think it's great. Um, and the multiplayer is actually being added as a free update for PS4, Epic Games Store, and Oculus Quest in next year. So at least, um, you know, the, they'll be able to actually play that multiplayer mode eventually as well. So, Which is such a nice thing to do and kind of a bit of a non-2020 thing <laughs> to do because they could have easily charged extra for that DLC yeah. and, you know, nominal amount. Um, and to be honest, I think it probably would have been fairly logical to do that because you didn't buy Tetris Effect expecting that you're going to get some further updates to the game. And it's pretty common that you release definitive editions later and you get a bit of extra content, but you've, you know, missed out on the opening buzz of a game. I feel like that's a pretty fair trade-off, but it's great that they're doing that. Um, so I will be playing this on probably PS4. But then, like, again, going back to the Xbox Game Pass, and, you know, I do want to cover this a little bit later, but it does make it a compelling proposition. Uh, and I cannot understate how good this game is. To me, it's like a bit of a meme where, you know, a lot of people sort of say, hey, Tetris on the NES or, you know, some variant like that. That's a perfect game. And it feels like this game's come along and just gone, hold my beer. Like, <laughs> you know, the addition of music and how it enmeshes in the game, and especially you like whack on some headphones, play the game, man, it does take Tetris to another level, which is like, I, again, I cannot understate taking a game that to me is basically perfect and my nominee for uh, one of the Smash Brothers characters. Now I've got it in you know, a recorded form so I can refer <laughs> back to it. Um, <laughs> Tetraminos enters the battle. That's what I want to see. Um, you know, I just think that, you know, the game is just has to be played by people. It, it's still a bit of a sleeper hit to me. Like not many people talk about this game and coming on Game Pass, it's so awesome. Um, I, I think it's going to get in front of a lot more people and having a multiplayer element to it is pretty fun. Tetris is always great to play with people. Talking about another game uh, from the showcase that personally I didn't receive as well, Psychonauts 2. Uh, it was really cool to see Jack Black doing some of the vocals. I'm not sure if he's doing it for like the whole game or just like the opening song or, or like little parts of it. No, so uh, but... I can clarify on that a bit. Yeah. Um, so I've, I'm a big fan of the first Psychonauts and it makes sense what they've done here because... Every the the game is basically at least the first one. I imagine this is the same. The whole point of this is you're going to the the minds, the brains of of different people, and so the, every world is built around a theme of inside that person's mind. And this is very clearly um, like a, a psychedelic world in the game where Jack Bo- mm. uh, Jack Box Jack Black's song is actually playing <laughs> throughout the actual mm. world as you're playing it. So it's it's that's very in line with what the first Psychonauts did, um, and it's very clearly that's why they showcase this one specific world. So the whole game doesn't look like that. Um, that's just that one world because they've shown different worlds in in different trailers. And I mean, this game's been developed for a long time, um, and it's very highly anticipated, you know, by a lot of people. So I think it's I think it was a really cool um, thing to show off and. I mean, Jack Black's got a lot of history with Double Fine from uh, Brutal Legend, so it's, it's it makes sense. So, mm. and yeah, the the game has gone through a really interesting journey, you know, with the uh, Kickstarter, and it was meant to come out. It was like 2019, I think, 2018, 2019. 
I think it got uh, delayed from 2018 to 2019, and it's now pushed to next year. Yeah, to 2021. Oh, look, like, you know, I've, I know that Psychonauts, and that, what, came out in 2005, that, you know, was held in such a high regard with people. To me, just, you know, if I, if you haven't played Psychonauts, and I looked at this, I was just like, it looked so rough, man. Like, I, I was just like, this looks, sh- like, terrible. Really? See, the thing yeah. that that visual style is actually... Um, deliberate. So I, I get it, but it, you know, you know how sometimes artistic choices. It's like I get the artistic choice, but it's also got to sell people. And to me, I definitely was not sold on this game. Yeah, but it's selling people. It, essentially, they the first game is the visual style is basically um, Nightmare Before Christmas, but you strip the horror elements out of it. So it's so oddball and quirky and. This looks, I think this looks great. It looks, um, it looks like a perfect follow-up. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely the exact opposite on that. Mm. Well, it'd be interesting when it comes out and I'd imagine it's going to come out on Game Pass as a lot of the games showed in this trailer were, um, or in the showcase were coming out on Game Pass and they made a big point of that. Uh, going to a different game that I was excited about, but I didn't actually know about until after the event. So I went back and watched the stream of the event, but I didn't realize the pre-show was going to also have like chunky news in it. <laughs> so the next two items come from there. Uh, Dragon Quest Eleven, Echoes of an Elusive Age, Definitive Edition. Yes, that is the full title. <laughs> no, you missed the S. Uh, you missed the S. Oh, yeah, I did. I <laughs> know. <laughs> um, the wor- one of the worst this- named games ever. I know. And you know, they make them write the full name every time. So it's so long. Um, you know, this game, I, I was pumped when I saw this, you know, first Dragon Quest on the Xbox, kind of interesting. It's gone on PC. So it's on everything now. It's on the Switch, PS4. Uh, it's obviously probably going to come to PS5 because it doesn't seem like they'll have the same level of backwards compatibility as Xbox. But it, and it's going to be available on Game Pass. But it may, and it's launching at the end of the year. But there's a very clear reason why this wasn't in the showcase. Uh, why? Because it's not announced for Xbox One X. It was only Xbox One and PC. So You mean Xbox Series X, right? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> See? There you go. Uh, gotcha. You go. Yeah. So it was only Xbox One. It's the worst name. It was only Xbox One and PC, not Series X. So they obviously focus only focused on games. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. <clears throat> wait. Let me get this straight. So, Dragon Quest Eleven S, Echoes of an Elusive Age Definitive Edition. They're not targeting it to go on Xbox Series X. Not co- what? Well, it wasn't in the trailer. The trailer right. only said Xbox One and PC. <laughs> I think you're right. What the hell? <laughs> This is so weird. Um, this company is so weird, man. It's look, I, you know, it's, nah, Square it is probably a weird company, it man. probably would have taken a lot of work because they they haven't announced that that game's being ported to PS Five yet either. So I think that mm. if they they may have actually potentially okay, it may be coming to Series X, but given um, that series lineage or recent lineage with the PlayStation, um, they may actually you know, wait to announce that it's coming to next gen with them first. So I think it, it's fantastic. You know, I'm a huge JRPG fan. Um, yeah. I just play on the wrong consoles for JRPGs. But um, the 
it's it's great. I haven't played a Dragon Quest game since um, I think it was Dragon Quest Seven on PlayStation Two. Um, yeah, that's a big one that most people played. Yeah, yeah, and I never completed that game as well. And that's just completely, you know, when you just fall off games randomly, not because you weren't enjoying them, just because you were just doing something else at the time and you got distracted. Yeah. Um, but this game looks amazing. It's, um, I think, it's hit the public and the mainstream in a way that I think no Dragon Quest has before, and you know that that's helped by it being on the Switch, and it's helped by Hero being a playable character in Smash Brothers. Um, I'm pumped about this because now um, I'm not going to buy it on the Switch. <laughs> now I'm going to get it on the Xbox. Well, yes, um, this is an interesting point, right? Like, it's kind of thrown a spanner in the works for me. And I, I'm, I'm going to reveal something to you that you're going to be blown away by. I'm like, this close to signing up to Game Pass on PC. I'm not blown away Because by most that. of these games... <laughs> What was that? I'm not blown away by that at all. Makes oh, sense. okay. Well, it's just such a good proposition, right? And, you know, it really has put a spanner in the works. Like my, um, you know, there's birthday planning for me coming up. So my wife and family are like, oh, what kind of things do you want? And I had it on the list initially in my mind, uh, Dragon Quest XI S. And now I'm like, <clears throat> I don't know, maybe, you know, I should hold off and just play it on PC. I don't know. It's... If we look, yeah, go on. I'll say, if we weren't in a world where we're not commuting at the moment because of everything to do with the pandemic, um, they'd probably be a bit different because the whole thing is well, then I can actually play it on the train and stuff. Um, yeah, but now it's it's not the case, and it might not be the case for a while, especially <laughs> where I am. But it's it. it the thing is, I, I'm, the Switch is not the most powerful console. I, I love it, but um, if I'm going to play a game like that that looks amazing, um, I'm probably going to rather play it on a more powerful console. So, And you're, you're, you're so right about um, the current world we're in and just linking it back to your other point about falling off games. I love <clears throat> Fire Emblem Three Houses. It's just that I've realized I played that on the train so it's like a good chunk of time to like play a battle, get through the monastery or go through the interactions. And because I don't commute to work at the moment, I've found that I've just dropped off it. And it's not because I don't like it. It just doesn't fit in my life and my routines and looking after my kid and all that kind of stuff. It just, I don't know. It's just not the kind of game that I I'll go, okay, I'm going to sit down for an hour to play. Um, and, you know, like one big thing on strategy in general, you want your strategic advantages to really you know hit the opponent and in their weaknesses and that that's where like xbox is doing such a good job at focusing on services you know i look at this and i go why would i get it on ps4 it's like hey it might come on game pass anyway with xbox so and then if they release a enhanced mastered version i could go pick that up on the series x like in a physical form so i'm not like losing out and I can get the the maybe the super definitive version of whatever they end up calling it. Um, and again, it just shows like the strategy. I, I'm really, really liking the strategy of what Xbox is doing here. Yep, I agree. And I just wish they named their consoles better. <laughs> yeah, look, honestly, I really do believe they should have just called it Xbox 4. Like, just keep it simple. Because, <laughs> you know, the amount of times, and I, I haven't shared all these stories with you before, but... The amount of times I, I love to just walk through like eBay games, which is like the GameStop in Australia, and just 
you know, check out the games. And I don't know, I just kind of like being in there. There's something about it that just brings me back to my childhood. The amount of times people, like parents, and, you know, because I'm a parent and I, I guess when you become a parent, you look like a parent for some reason. And the amount of times the parents come up to me, they're like, oh, I know you don't work here, but can you like explain this to me? <laughs> and I have to explain stuff. And I literally was like, okay, so you want to get your like 10 year old a switch and you're thinking the switch light, but do you want to play Mario party? Cause if you want to play Mario party, don't get the switch light. <laughs> and I'm just like having to explain this all. And I'm seeing this, this mother just going, why is this so complicated? And I agree. It's like, why is it so complicated? You know, you look at the way that, um, hardware manufacturers for phones name their phones they don't try to like make it too crazy because you know just confusing people is not going to help you mm. like calling it the xbox series x is not going to help them like if they just called it the xbox 4 and you go like that's the best one <laughs> it's like okay that's clear i know what that is i don't i'm not going to get confused Thank- thankfully they've um, got enough other things pushing positive things pushing back the other way that it, it shouldn't end up like the wii u situation but I don't think it would be that no, bad. No. no, no, no. That was that was a disaster. Yeah. Um, and it's also hard to understand what that was about. Like you know, I, we had this conversation years ago, and I didn't understand what it really was. <laughs> uh, and now I own one, so that's quite funny. Um, another another pre-show item, and I'm going to throw it to you. Yeah. Uh, I am excited about this item because I think anything like around platformers is is always interesting. But yeah, I'll throw it to you on this one. So during the pre-show, um, Square Enix announced a new action platform game called Balan Wonderworld. Um, coming to Xbox One and Series X in uh, spring 2021. I'm guessing that's US spring. Um, so Yeah, definitely being. So that'll be like March to May for us. So March to May 2021. So I definitely think this is probably a game also hitting other platforms just by the nature of it. But um, yeah. So essentially it's um, headed up by Yuji Naka. The, you know, essentially the, you know, the, what people consider, you know, the creator of Sonic and so many classic Sega games um, mm. and who left Sega actually in 2018 to join Square Enix. So I guess we know what what he's been working on. And it's very much feels like the spiritual successor to Knights into Dreams, which he also worked on, um, at least visually and tonally. Um, Gameplay-wise, it looks very different. Um, and, yeah, it's... Honestly, I'm quite perplexed why this game wasn't in the showcase. Um, yeah, I don't get it either. Yeah, it's very strange. Maybe I'm wondering if the thing that they put together was probably a bit too lengthy for what they could slot into the overall show. But I definitely think um, as much we're going to talk about it next. But um, Outer Worlds DLC and, and Ori update, I think those are two things that they're not new announcements that you could have actually culled them and put a brand new IP announcement that that's what people are wanting from this. They're wanting, hey, new games, you know, what's something to get excited about I haven't heard about? So it is strange, but it is what it is. Um, Still got a lot of press and a lot of people heard about it because the game Atlas obviously pointed it out. But yeah, I think it looks cool. Um, It, I don't know if it's going to end up being up my alley. Um, I for instance, still have to get back to actually playing ukulele and things like that. So I think yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of, a lot of the times people are excited about, let's say Shenmue 3, they're excited about something, but then when it comes to reality <laughs> playing it, we're all so busy and sometimes it doesn't actually fit into our lives, especially when something is very much eschewing the 
games of old. But this does it doesn't play like Knights. Um, you know, it does look like its own thing. So um yeah, excited about it. Yeah, and it, it's such a good point. And I sometimes wonder <clears throat> with games if just the nature of the game and how it works, you know, some genres themselves are very Moorish, whereas some genres you, you just you actually sort of only need one or two games to satisfy that that urge. You know, and you'd think of like first person shooters, RPGs, you can <clears throat> kind of almost just keep playing them and play so many different ones of them. Whereas platformers, there's something about like, especially 3D platformers, where <clears throat> it takes so much of an investment and it's you have to really get into it, I think. And, you know, for me, even just getting through the, you know, the Mario Odysseys of the world and things like that, you know, one of the games I've really been keen to play is um, Hat in Time. And I just haven't found time to play it. Pardon <laughs> the pun. Um, but I think it is something about the genre. It just doesn't feel like you just can really quickly just jump into it and jump out of it because it's like the, most of the mechanics are all going to be the same. There is like that kind of nuance with platformers and 3D platformers even more so. Um, but yeah, I look, I share the same points. I'm surprised it wasn't in the main sort of presentation or maybe it was just a production timing thing who knows i think one just the way it was presented one other thing about it is it gave me a bit of kingdom hearts vibes in terms of its presentation and the music design or music i guess um style um so Mm. i think it'll probably also appeal to that audience a little bit as well so yeah and we also had an announcement around the outer worlds dlc I was kind of wondering whether this was going to be an exclusive DLC. I, I don't actually recall if it was uh, announced prior. Oh, I, I think it was, wasn't it? There was a there was a couple of DLC packs that were sort of announced prior. And just the background there is, with the studio being bought out by Microsoft, you know, there is this you know perspective of like, what are they going to allow to sort of go public versus be exclusive to the console or to the Xbox universe. And they they gave this quite a bit of time, actually. I was kind of surprised about it. Yeah, and it's... I think we've... I think some people have forgotten that Outer Worlds was actually a big deal um, when it was announced and actually when it came out as well. Obviously, you had the whole confusion with the Outer Wilds as well, which didn't help for either game. And those two games share share staff as well. Like, the writer is written for both. I say it didn't help, but, I mean, people always talked about it, so, hey, never know. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Yeah, so it's the first of two planned ones. Um, I'm a big fan of Outer Worlds. Um, I won't say that... I think the game let me down a little bit in terms of its scope. So we talked about Avowed before and how Obsidian doesn't always go for big. They go for... I guess, um, curated style, um, uh, I guess, world design and things like that. And I'm mm. a fan of that, but it was definitely short. I mean, you can beat the game in 20 minutes, and I have. Um, and it's, which is cool in some ways, but I think that if, what I, I was expecting a little bit more from the game, especially considering they spend a lot of time building up um, your your comrades and you don't get a lot to do with them um so i'm really looking forward to it and yeah i think i just hope that the game uh, runs a bit better on switch these days than when it first <laughs> when it first launched <laughs> well yeah and they should never have released that game on switch like it was it, it's pretty farcical yeah. and i you know it, that's probably one thing that you do have to criticize obsidian for i know that they're not responsible directly for the port but it, it's under their IP and 
I, I just can't believe that they released that as it was. It was so bad. Like literally down into the single digit frame per second, just unplayable. And I think in the Australian market, you could demand a refund uh, just because there are consumer laws because it's just not the way a game should run. I know they're improving it, but yeah, I, I actually don't even know if the DLCs are coming out for the Switch. I guess they would be, but the game barely runs as is. And the DLC is coming out on the 9th of September. So one thing I'll say about Obsidian, I, I love their games. You know, I'm a big fan of Alpha Protocol. I never played Not um, at All Republic 2, but I know that's very well considered. And obviously I love New Vegas and South Park um, was great as well. But their games are definitely not super optimized and polished. Um, they're very buggy um, in a yeah, lot of ways. True. So yeah. it's, yeah. But one thing I'll say about this, is, you know, it brings a whole lot of stuff, which I think is going to be great, like new, uh, increase the level cap, new perks and things like that. So I think it's going to be really good to revisit. Um, apparently it will impact the ending as well, which is strange, but makes sense because oh, okay. everything else in the game impacts the ending. So really cool it's interesting that you say that because you know they're often criticized for just copying and maybe doing bethesda better than bethesda does but they also do that with the bugs well, and how slow new, it runs on the system well it the while it probably the blame can't be placed squarely on on obsidian new vegas is the buggiest game i've ever played in my life i had to keep <laughs> 20 separate saves going at all times because the game would crash <laughs> Every hour, hard crash my entire console every hour. So, yeah, awesome. but it was, I loved it even with that. You know, it's it's ridiculous what it, you have to put yourself through sometimes to love a good game. But so, yeah, that, that shows a good game where you're willing to, to do go to those levels. Um, and, and talking about another game that had some issues and performance issues when it first launched, Ori. And the Willow Will of the Wisps. I haven't got around to playing this. I have played the original and I love it. And I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of Metroidvanias and games of this style. And I think it does bring a lot to the genre, just even in the visuals. They're just so awesome. And they've really gone all out, it seems, talking about with the Xbox Series X update, having 120 frames per second, 4K and HDR. And it looks like incredible. I was actually looking at the 4K uh trailer because that got released after and it looks looks insane like it actually looks like one of the most impressive games on the console have you have you played this game so i've only played the first one and only probably the first couple of hours um but it was great again it's just i've got like 200 unplayed games in my backlog and there's games that just (laughs) unfortunately um are victims of that but i'm surprised i thought hdr would have already been in the current xbox one x version (laughs) but don't know, like they did announce, they did specifically point it out, but it might be, you know, 120 FPS, 4K yeah. and HDR, because yeah. that's like another performance hit, having HDR on that as well. A lot of these games are running at high resolutions without HDR now. Because I could imagine that game, considering it has a lot of shadows and, and like dark, I guess, um, like bl- there's a lot of black elements to it, you know, um, in the visual style. So... I think that H- it makes sense that they would have already had HDR for that. But yeah, no, mm. it looks good. Um, it's very hard to obviously showcase something at 120 frames per second when the stream is maxed out at 60 frames. <laughs> um, they tried. I I think it's very hard without having that in person uh, on a TV that can do that or a monitor that can do that. It's very hard to showcase that. And I guess that's yeah. that's going to be a challenge throughout this whole generation until, until we have... Because I don't think YouTube's... Po- YouTube's not capable of doing more than 60 frames, is it, at the moment? 
Uh, no, 60s max. It can do 4K 60s. So until you... But not streaming, I don't believe. I think it's, uh, yeah, just like, you know, high definition. So 1080p 60. I think that's the best they can do for a stream. But it does still get really buggy, especially in the US. So especially. until YouTube gets to that point, I think it's going to be a challenge for all developers to showcase anything that's above 60. Yeah, and you know what? Like, the other thing is that um, they've already started to use it as a bit of an excuse because, and, you know, we'll probably touch on this at the end of the show as well, but, you know, there's been a lot of complaints about how Halo looked. I thought it looked great. Um, and, you know, and there's some pop-ins, but, hey, it's an early build. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, giving it that. And there's no, they never looked bad, those games. So I wouldn't imagine them, it looking bad. Um, but, you know, they've already come out saying, oh, you know, the stream, it, you know, it didn't quite hit 60 sometimes. Go back and watch the published 4k 60 version rah 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 and i'm just like oh this is this is becoming an issue i mean the playstation one was terrible like that was literally running at 30 frames a second like that looked way worse to me and i saw far fewer complaints um yeah but the just the 120 fps thing i don't really get it and you know i'll say that in the context that i am you know i've got two computer monitors that go up to like 180 hertz you know, so I've, you know, I'm fully into that stuff, but I just don't think that's very mainstream. I, like who has 120 FPS 4K HDR monitor? Look, to me, it's not even that. It's the fact that last generation, very few big releases managed to actually even hit 60. Yes. So yeah. let's just aim for everything being 60 <laughs> first. Before we go beyond that, please. Like, 4K, cool, whatever. Doesn't affect me at the moment because I don't no. have a 4K setup. But there's a lot of people that do. But I, yeah. I've i talked about this before, you know, not on the podcast, but I I remember being so pumped that they were releasing um, Dishonored on Xbox One as a, a definitive edition, you know? And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And I get it. And it's 30 frames a second. And I'm like, this was a 360 <laughs> game. They've obviously up it, but why is it running at, at 30? I get Tomb Raider Definitive Edition. It's running at 30. That was a last generation game. This is just ridiculous. Then you've got Borderlands Handsome Collection. Everything's running silky smooth 60, as you'd expect a, a ported collection to do on a newer console. Like, let's get there first, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Sorry. I remember how crazy you went about that. I was game. so pissed. I spent like sixty bucks Australian on that definitive edition. I remember how angry you were. Oh, so pissed! And look, maybe I should have done my research first, but I wasn't the only one that was pissed when that came out. Everyone was like, "Why is this running at 30? And it's the perfect kind of game that you'd want running at sixty. It's not like the Assassin's Creed games. Okay, so they remastered Assassin's Creed Three, and that's still running at thirty. But with that game. Like with the animation setup, there's probably a lot of complications bringing it to 60, or at least on console. I don't know about PC. I can understand it more for that for a third person game. For a first person game that relies on smooth controls and everything, is, there's no excuse for that crap. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, like I'm, I'm big, big, big on this. And one item we won't touch on, but I'll just throw it out here. There was confirmation with the Spider-Man Miles Moranis game. It's going to have two modes. So like a cinematic mode and a performance mode. I think that's almost the language that people are going to start using. You know, one mode where it's 4K and the frame rate will drop. Whereas another one, it's going to target 60 frames a second. 
I actually just hope everyone just takes that as now going to be standard because, you know, I, I play a lot of games on my PC and, you know, obviously you can dial in whatever you want. For me personally, depending on what the game, like, and we'll touch on it when we talk about Rocket League, but, you know, I really ramp up the frame rate in that game. But most of the games I play, I try to target like 90 to 100 frames a second. I find that anything above that, you like, I know people say they can perceive it and all this other kind of stuff. I don't find you really notice it as much, but, you know, then you have a good balance between the visuals and then the frame rate, but I'm always more on the frame rate. Like if I have to bump down the visuals a lot to make sure I at least hit 60, I'll do that. So uh, yeah, I just can't understand, you know, it sounds like we're going to get games coming out <laughs> even in the next gen that aren't going to necessarily hit 60, which is just, just, just mind boggling to me. It is ridiculous. Like, we're, <laughs> I know. We're, cons- we're, we're playing on consoles, right? Or at least I, I play predominantly on consoles. Just get us to 60 is the standard. Come on. Like, <laughs> stop screwing around. Um, yeah. Come on. Jeez. And it doesn't seem like they focus on it too much. Like, they're just more on the, the up-raising, the 4K, everything like that. So, oh. whereas a lot of people still don't have 4K or even notice. Man, I wish I could like, I wish I wish could drop an F-bomb on this, this bloody podcast. But <laughs> screw 4K. Like, in, no, I'm, we're total agreement. In, like, <laughs> cool, great. Get everything to 60 as the priority. I'm sorry. That's just ridiculous. Well, you even hear stories about people that don't even realize that they're not even in 4K mode on their TV because of their setup. Like they've got a dodgy HDMI cable or something like that. And this is like, wait a second. People don't even notice that they're not on it. Um, I was chatting to a person who had an Apple TV and I'm like, you realize like your Apple TV doesn't output 4K. So you know you got this 4K TV, but you can't even see 4K content because they're raving about how good it looks. And I'm like, you're an idiot. You're not even looking at 4K. You don't even notice. But the thing is, I wouldn't call that person an idiot in that sense because, like, it's honestly there's a lot of mixed messages about everything from the TV manufacturers to game consoles yeah. to people like Apple and that. They it they are happy for people to be ignorant as long as people yes. think. That they're getting something that's cool. They're tricking people. Let's be real. Yeah. They're tricking people. You, like, if you actually see something like an OLED TV versus, you know, regular standard style TV, that's a no- noticeable difference. HDR is quite noticeable. The 4K to, like, 1080, depending on how close you are, but the way that most people set these things up, you won't notice 4K, really. Like, it's actually one of the things that's not really worthwhile going for. But it takes such a performance hit trying to get those resolutions. To me, it's just like one of the most illogical things since 3D, you know, and you know how big I was on hating 3D back in the day. And it's not that bad, but, you know, that was the worst of all. But yeah, it's just, it's it's quite annoying. I'd really hope just by standard, like I actually wish that it was baked into uh, the OS where, you know, with Xbox, you could just go in and go, hey, I just want all the games to try to hit 60. And if you have to fluctuate the frames, great, do that. Like, if that was an option, I'd just set it like that. Like, there's no way I'd move it from that option. Well, that's right. There you go, Phil Spencer. Just give it, give it a year and a half, and suddenly we'll be talking about 8K anyway. So, Well, they are talking about No, I'm saying like, the, game, think... the game makers will be talking about 8K. <laughs> no, I think they've already said that the, the Series X can hit 8K. That's ridiculous. Come on. All right, let, let's move on. We've spent too long on this. Yeah. So, I mean, that covers the ones that we wanted to touch on. I'll, I'll hand over to you. There was a lot of other games, you know, either in the actual showcase 
and then also just like side events to the showcase, like another 15 games to the side um, with the indie scene. So I'll probably hand over to you to throw to any that you're sort of interested in. Yeah, so I mean, there was definitely a bit of a showcase of a whole bunch of ID and Xbox games. They gave some updates on Tunic, Artfulscape, 12 Minutes. They're all games of showcased E3 in previous years. So just a bit more about those. They announced State of K3, which, which was a considerable headliner, but the reason I didn't talk about it is, well, it probably doesn't appeal to either of us, honestly. Um, I'm yeah. not a fan of zombie media, <laughs> I'd call it. <laughs> like, it's zombie as, as good as something can be. Like Everyone's <laughs> like, oh, I watched The Walking Dead, and I'm just like, I'm so logical. I'm like, I'm just so over zombies, you know, just, just give it yeah, away. Um, I think it makes sense. Uh, Everwild, they showed that off um, a lot more. They've previously announced it, but anything from Rare is obviously going to get eyes on it. Um, you know, we're, yeah, I love Rare's developer. Um, sea Thieves is probably not something that's super appealed to me, unless I had a whole bunch of people that would have been interested in playing, which I didn't. Um, so I'm keen to see what this is. I hope it is a, a good single player experience because um, that's what I want from them. Honestly, they tell me why um, from Don't Nod. I guess they're next Life is Strange style uh, game. Mm. Um, I'm a big fan of, of Vampire from Don't Nod, which was very different um, style of game. I This game definitely didn't appeal to me, and I think it was honestly the wrong game to include at this point, um, because it does not look like an X-Gen game. So it's... I understand they're pushing it because it's on Game Pass, but they... that I'm just looking at this saying, thinking, this doesn't look great, people are wanting to be wowed by the new console. And this is one of the few games that they're showing in engine gameplay here. So, and I use gameplay mm. loosely because I mean, it's going to be an interactive style adventure, non-adventure game anyway. So plus they had as dusk falls, another interactive drama, which actually looked quite cool with its visual style from interior night. And those two games, great, great studio name, by the way. Oh great yeah. Studio cool. Name. So those two games a shared one. a similar space. So I think that if they should have probably chosen to just show as Dust Falls Off. Um, they were the same game, weren't they? Yeah. So they had, um, so they showed a bit more grounded. That's actually um, in going to, I guess, their early access style um, mm. uh, preview uh, thing, game preview uh, this week. So it'll be interesting to see how that's going to go. I have a feeling it's probably no one's going to be People will forget it exists by this time next year, but I'd love to be wrong. Yeah. So, um, talked a bit about Senua's Saga, but didn't show anything, uh, Hellblade 2. But that of games obviously was, was a huge, um, unexpected hit when it first came out on PlayStation 4. So, um, the original one, um, Destiny 2, they showed that off, um, with including the new expansion that's coming to Game Pass and X- Xbox Series X, which is going to obviously. Please, a lot of people. That's not me. Um, but it's, it's the new Doom. It's coming on everything. Well, I'm, Destiny too. It's weird. I should love Destiny, but I just wish it was a completely single player game, and that'll probably be more appeal. It, I'm weird, you know, it's, <laughs> which is like completely not what. It no, is. exactly. It's like those those are logical <laughs> things when you hear that something is part of a game, which is you know essentially this. You you're relying on a lot of other people. I'm not saying you can't do a lot of it yourself. Then suddenly my interest level drops a lot, and I had a lot of people that used to play Destiny. Um, yeah, and so and I kind of missed my chance to get into that. So, but um, just, just quickly on Destiny too, it's like I feel like I would actually really get into that game, but it seems like such an investment. I don't even want to try. 
if that makes sense. Feels like I'll just get sucked in if I if I go down that path. Yeah, and I mean, like the games are loved by by people, um, so mm. I don't I don't want to tread on that at all. Um, and I think it's great that they're able to play them on the new console. Mm. Um, they also announced, well, kind of re-announced Stalker Two, uh, which is a true sequel to the PC cult classic, and I think there was a few console ports of the older games as well. Um, that's really cool. They didn't really show much of it, but immediately. Like, I knew it was Stalker right away, even though I've never played the games. So just by osmosis, oh, I've learned, you know, a lot about <laughs> the, the Stalker world and, and the visual style and everything. And uh, it's 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 interesting with that because they, that's gone through a troubled development, Stalker 2. So they kind of announced it, then they canned it, and then they said they're working on it again. And so it's great to actually have it featured in, uh, in this showcase. They also announced... Um, Warhammer 40k Darktide, which is basically a sequel to the Vermintide games, um, but it's set in the 40k universe. Um, the Vermintide games are loved by people. Um, they're apparently what I guess a lot of people are wanting from a Left 4 Dead style co-op survival shooter. And uh, so I think Darktide will be very well received. So I think that's cool. Mm. Uh, the Gunk is pretty neat. Um, I really liked it. Again, it's one of the few games that had gameplay and looked really cool. Um, and I mean, the Steam World, I've only ever played uh, Steam World Dig 1, um, but obviously a lot of people love the, the Steam World games, and it's their first, I guess, big 3D game that I, from my knowledge. And it's got a really cool title. The Gunk is cool. Um, and, and like, I was kind of surprised that they went in this direction. So I'm a big fan of Image and Form, the studio behind SteamWorld. Um, yeah, I just really am surprised they didn't go with like a SteamWorld 3D. I, but I think they they want to make their mark on a wider base and this might not work for them, but I think as yeah. soon as you start talking about SteamWorld again, they've obviously made a lot of SteamWorld games. And yeah, I, heaps, yeah. I, I, I can't blame them for wanting to branch out for new IP um, and seeing, hey, maybe we can grow... Um, our audience a bit um you know more people mm. playing our games and yeah i've definitely got my eyes on this game for sure yeah. there was also um a new game from blooper team called the medium so blooper teams worked on um i think laser fear um and a bunch of other kind of first person horror games now the medium i i guess it looked like it was maybe third person but it looked kind of cool uh you know swapping between two different worlds that are rendered at the same time so kind of a Silent Hill style approach, but it seems a bit more of a less of a psychological horror game like Silent Hill, more of probably straight up horror game. Uh, looked cool, probably not my thing. I I will completely admit that I'm I do not want to play horror games. Like I I remember trying to play the Resident Evil remake on GameCube, and after like two hours in, I said, "No, nah, I'm not playing that game anymore." <laughs> Like in terms of it's just too much. Or... Oh, I just, just, I just get too anxious, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm the same. Man. I'm, I'm the same. I actually love horror film, uh, horror games, but I, I get into it too much. I was playing, what was it, Resident Evil Seven, or yeah, I think it was Seven, and I was like, oh, this is too heavy, man. <laughs> I'm like, I'm getting like too freaked out. Yeah, <laughs> freaked out in this game. I'm, I was like, Shit. it's, it's not for me, but I love watching other people play it. So yeah. it's the trailer looked really cool. Oh the yeah, it was cool. cool. This game. We had and I, I did I did want to mention something about the gunk just quickly. It is actually an exclusive to Xbox, <laughs> which is I think a huge thing for them. That's that's pretty awesome because 
I'm definitely keen on that game. And if that's a really good game, that's that's the kind of game that could give me a cross. Yeah, no, that's that's that is a good get. Um, we had New Genesis Fantasy Star Online two, which was quite confusing to a lot of people <laughs> because it doesn't look so it doesn't look anything like Fantasy Star Online two currently does in terms <laughs> of its gameplay. And I've played I've played probably about ten hours of Fantasy Star Online two, mm. um, and I enjoyed it, but um, I just fell off it for whatever reason. It, you have to put time into that game, and this this looked really cool and. Um, so what it seems like it is, it seems like it's like a, I wouldn't say a complete overhaul, but maybe from a gameplay perspective, a considerable overhaul um, and the map changes, um, which is pretty good because Fantasy Star Online Two is about eight years old at this point, uh, and mm. it it's I'm assuming this kind of update's going to hit across, um, you know, like the PC and PlayStation as well. So it's it's really cool. Um, obviously, not everyone's cup of tea. But um, and the main character they showed off looks super weird, but that's fantasy star for you. So um, they also showed a bit more Crossfire X, specifically the campaign, which is being made by Remedy. Um, I have absolutely no interest in that game, and if it wasn't for Remedy working on it, yes. um, I would have probably not even mentioned it. But hey, it is probably going to be a good action game. That's all I can say about it. Um, Exo Mecha. So they, this wasn't. Sh- I'd say, actually, we're now getting to a couple of things that were mentioned in the showcase. Um, so Exomecha is free-to-play, which automatically kind of, like, pushes away, then... Raises the guard up. First-person shooter pushes away <laughs> a bit more, but then they've got mechs in it, so it brings me back in again. Um, I'm oh, I'm all in. <laughs> yeah, I'm all in, Jerry. Um, so it's the trailer, honestly, you start off, you're like... It looks good, but it looks generic, and you're like, oh, cool. And then they start having people in mech suits and dragon mechs and people like with giant swords. And I'm like, man, I kind of wish this was a single player game, honestly. Um, you'll hear that a lot of these podcasts, I think, is that I'm <laughs> I'm not a big multiplayer person other than your Battlefield 3 um, and your, your Halo multiplayer. Mesh. And like first person shooters specifically, I'd say. Oh, um, okay, yeah, yeah, I get you. Yeah. That you know, like, but hey, it looks cool. Um, it's an interesting take on it. Um, but the game I'm mm. most, most interested, um, honestly, um, in these non showcase games is Echo Generation. So I don't know, Intergot, if um, you actually watched the trailer for Echo Generation or not. No, no, I didn't. This game looks because what was this? This was outside of the showcase, correct? Right? Watch this trailer, this is awesome. Um, I love it so much. It's basically Stranger Things. But everyone's like pixel 3D characters, and it looks like it's got like a, a turn-based RPG battle system. <laughs> it looks so cool. Mm. Um, so I'm super pumped to see what that game's like because it looks great. It actually looks really impressive. I'm kind of almost surprised they didn't put it in. It looks great. Um, yeah, because you know one of the things that people really jumped out at in the Switch Prezo was uh, what was called Project Octopath, I believe, at the time. Yeah. Uh, which became Octopath Traveler. And, you know, people were really blown away by the visuals of that. And I kind of get the same vibe of this game, just quickly looking at the trailer. And some people calling it like a bit of an Earthbound or like some inspiration yeah. from that game. So and it looks it looks actually really cool. And with the audio, like it's 100% Stranger Things. you got like kids wearing like baseball caps and stuff. But yeah, it's, hey, I'm, I'm up for it. So they also... I don't know if this was previously announced, but they they kind of focused on uh, Hello Neighbor 2 as well. Um, Mm. 
not my thing. You know, it's a big, it's popular on YouTube and there's a lot of like extra media, you know, uh, like books and stuff about Hello Neighbor. Um, I, it's obviously going to appeal to a lot of kids, um, that game. Then we also lastly had a whole bunch of um, confirmations for existing uh, Xbox Studio games getting uh, updates for Series X. So Sea of Thieves, Forza Horizon 4, and Gears 5 are all getting updates. We already knew about Gears 5, um, actually. But also, interestingly, Gears Tactics. Uh, when I first saw that, I'm like, wait, that how does that work? Because it actually was on an Xbox One. Turns out they've actually also announced that it's coming to Xbox One. So previously, Gears Tactics was only on PC. So oh yeah, so it's coming. <laughs> that's weird. So it's coming to Xbox One and Series X. So that's kind of cool. And that pretty much covers everything, which was a lot. Uh, we're we're over an hour into this. Um, and while some of that wasn't shown in the showcase, I think it just goes to show that they had a lot to talk about. Yeah, and like just going to our overall thoughts, I, you know, <clears throat> I try to go into these things, especially now, but even before, you know, just going into it, you know, cold without other people's perspectives coloring what I think about it. And, you know, yes, I, I did, you know, a couple of things to me, not many of the games really to me were like, oh, wow, this just looks so much better than what you currently see. And maybe that's also a bit of a function that we're so deep in the generation and probably a little bit deeper than they were expecting. You know, they've really refined a lot of the engines. And, you know, there's probably not a lot more that they can pick off in terms of easy wins. You know, you think back to SNES, to 64, and then you kept going those generations. It was just so obvious, the changes that you're making uh, to the generations. And for me, even when it went to PS3 slash 360, it was like, oh, yeah, wow, this does look great. It, It still didn't blow me away the way that, you know, when we went to 64, I was like, whoa, this is just incredible. And even, you know, PlayStation 2, uh, you know, like for me, none of it really was jumping out. But I think overall is really good. Um, did it get me excited about getting the Xbox Series X? No. And this is one weird thing that I'm I'm not really sure, like, you know, the way that, you know, the one thing that I don't understand about Microsoft's strategy you know, they do want to push everything into Game Pass and have it very available. But for me, as a person, I already got a, a fairly decent PC. You know, so many of these games, I think almost every single one that was available for Series X was also available, maybe a bit for one or two on the PC. And I was like, why would I get a Series X? But you've already, I just don't... You've already confirmed that they they achieved what they wanted to with you. Because you want to get game, because you no, because you want to get Game Pass. That was sure. That was yeah. Probably their key objective in this whole presentation. It was not Series X. It was the Game Pass. Interesting, interesting. Because every yeah, I mean every single it, game. The interesting way to look at it. Because when you when we think about overall thoughts, and I know you've got more that you probably want to cover, but just can I just say so? A lot of people. Um, saying, well, I wasn't wowed away by it. Think about every single game in this showcase was on Game Pass. So first of all, you're not going to see any big third-party releases. You're not going to see any big third-party announcements that aren't going to be on Game Pass. But think back to, I guess, previous um, E3-style presentations and press conferences, which this didn't have, obviously, the big pizzazz and wow. It's not their fault about that. I think they did what they could do but 
we didn't have oh cyberpunk announcement we didn't have all these big third party announcements elden ring announcements that is what makes us go oh that was cool i got hyped from that but everything's on game pass like those games are going to be coming mm. they might not be on an xbox conference but they're going to be coming to the platform generally speaking other than obviously you sony exclusives and things but i think the whole point of this was to get people to get game pass it doesn't matter whether or not it's on xbox one series x or pc the whole point is that's where their business is is going get people on game pass yeah and and let's like bring in a topic that we were going to talk about a little bit later because it is like pretty much this point um you know that is a massive part of their strategy and phil spence is very much focused on the service element and just as a company as well microsoft has transition under Sachina Nadella to really move into a service business rather than, you know, try to get people to buy Windows 11, Windows 12, Windows 13. They just want them to have Windows. And they've actually loosened up so much of their um, ability to get Windows. You, you can almost get it for free through lots of different mechanisms. They almost don't really care as much anymore. They want you to get on Windows and then get Microsoft Office the cloud version. So then you're subscribing every year and paying, you know, a set amount of money every year. And, you know, you can really see that they're looking at that from an Xbox point of view. And they're probably the only folk out there that to me, genuinely are trying to do a bit of the Netflix of games. And you know what? Like, (laughs) you know, as like I said earlier, I actually jumped on the Xbox site to see the 190 games that are in game pass. And I know things come in and out and we'll always mention when they do come in and out, but you know, I was like looking at the list. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll play that game. Oh, yeah, I'll play that game. And then just a couple of games like Tetris Effect that if I could just play on my PC and it's like really easy to play and it's just there, it's kind of like at a price point where you go, ooh, you know, you've kind of got me <laughs> where I'm like interested in playing. Um, so, yeah, that's actually a really interesting point that you make. But the beauty. And just on the services, you know, you had Phil Spencer uh, talking in an interview with the German website GameStar and he actually confirmed a rumor that was going around the industry so as i mentioned earlier colin moriarty used to work for ign and he's been mentioning a lot that they were seriously talking about bringing game pass onto the ps4 which most people just dismissed is like that's just not true that that's just a lie um i mean it pretty much seems like it's confirmed that they were talking about it and it was just that they couldn't do the full xbox experience and and that's one really key thing that they want to have is their IP that, you know, if you're using Game Pass, you get all the benefits of Game Pass achievements, you know, easy access to games, you know, things carry on, your same name, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's it's, it's a really fascinating sort of strategic play from them. Yeah, and I think going back to what you're saying about, you know, the, I guess the value proposition of Game Pass is a lot of the key, like I've had Game Pass probably for about, four months now and considering i play on xbox all the time the fact that i only mm. got it till recently um just goes to show that you know the the eventually it'll win a lot of people over um that are initially a little hesitant because the whole thing with me it's like well i've got so many games already that i haven't played but then they yeah. started adding games that i would have otherwise purchased that i really wanted to play now and i'm like damn it but the great thing for me is i've played a whole bunch of games that i never would have tried otherwise so I talked last episode about playing Far Cry New Dawn. That's because it was on Game Pass. I yeah, played yeah. Uh, Wolfenstein to um, 
Oh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's the most recent one, um, New Blood, I think it is. Um, New Blood. Or New Bloods, I can't remember. Yeah, New Blood. And that's because it's on Game Pass. So while those games, especially Wolfenstein, I know are generally, you know, games that I probably enjoy, like really strong single-player experiences, although they have to do a co-op, I've got so many other games that I'm like, why would I go out? out of my way but game pass got me to actually play these games and you know maybe potentially get played more games or the previous ones in in the series so i think it's also about hey you're actually going to play a whole bunch of new games and that's why people like um image and form and these people want to be on game pass because it's it gets people exposure to their games and then they start to learn oh it's this people that put out the gunk you know oh their new game is coming out things like that so i think it's 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 fantastic and i guess for me just overall i i loved the showcase um i won't say it's definitely missing some stuff um there was no game on there that compared to ratchet and clank from the playstation um showcase Mm. i look when i saw that game it blew me away um there's no game that they showed like that and those games will come but i do think they needed something like that halo wasn't that halo was i was fine with halo but Halo was never going to be that. I think they needed something else that was going to showcase the power of the console. But the difficulty with that is we talked about the whole frame uh, frame rate issue being difficult to communicate across. But then the one of the other huge things of this generation is load times. That's another thing that's very difficult, especially in this kind of showcase, to communicate to people. So automatically you've got two huge things um, that they're focusing on um, that you can't really showcase to people about why they would move up to a new generation. So I don't envy the position of, of um, Microsoft or Sony or developers themselves having to explain to people why these new generations matter, um, especially when PC is obviously already there. So yeah, it's tough, um, but I, I liked it. Um, I think I liked it more than most people. And I think that helps that I'm a big Fable fan and that they, you know, Helped that they also announced Dragon Quest before it, but uh, it's. I do think they were missing that heavy hitter, that showcase like Ratchet. Mm. Yeah, it's a really interesting point you make, and you know, my overall thought is, you know, I thought it was really good. I think to me, it was pretty comparable to the PlayStation reveal and their event um, that was a f- what like six weeks ago or whenever it was. Um, you know, I, I do agree that there wasn't anything that just blew me away. Not that Ratchet and Clank really blew me away, but, you know, just bringing in this concept of a strategy credit, you know, where you have something that you're about and it might not actually be necessarily perceived as a strength. So, you know, one thing about PlayStation, they have terrible backwards compatibility. It's always been really flaky and it's always been a really big strength of uh, the Xbox brand, but you know, the strategy credit for PlayStation and the PS5 is they just don't give a crap about being compatible with PS4. So with Ratchet and Clank, they've just said, okay, there's this crazy SSD that's like even better than most PCs. You know, that is now the minimum requirement. So we can make all of these kind of worlds work in a way that you can just flip in between. And, you know, it's... it it's an experience that you've never really had it before because even with PC, they don't build it like that because even most PCs these days have SSDs, you know, the throughput that you can put through there is just nothing of the order of the base level with a PS5. And 
although, you know, you know, I hear Phil Spencer and some of the people from marketing in Xbox going, no, you know, we're targeting the Series X. It's it's a bit of, it's not a lie, that's too extreme, but, you know, the truth of the matter is if you have to make the game work on the Xbox One, which they've pretty much said that they're trying to target, that you won't even start with that design experience of being able to flip in between worlds and load things out really, really quickly. So it is going to hurt them. Like there's just no way about it. And, you know, maybe it's going to hurt them in the way of not having that game that just becomes a bit of a juxtaposition for people to go, look at that game. What is their version of that game? Mm. You know, it doesn't need to be that style of game, but, you know, that really does push you forward. And I, I just don't think they'll have it, to be honest. I don't. And I think the only way they're going to have it is just through a really amazing game that isn't exclusive. I, I, but why wouldn't they have announced that by now, you know? I think, yeah, I think that's probably going to be the biggest thing working against them and, and possible name confusion. And I think we're probably not going to see those titles probably for another 12 to 18 months, which is a shame because you that's what, uh, to me, sells people on a new generation is, wow, this, this looks like something and plays like something that I could not have played with my old console that I, at the time I spent five six hundred dollars on you know and i've now spent god knows like six seven eight hundred at least on on this new one you know and i think i think the playstations gamble with that because it is they're all these are all gambles but i think yeah the whole backwards compatible thing i think it's probably going to work out good for them but it's gonna be it's gonna be super interesting because I don't I can't see one console having this huge advantage over the other one at the moment. It's very to me they're very kind of they're focusing on different things, but they've both got these big strengths behind them, and I think that is that's fantastic for for us gamers um, to have options out there that are both super strong and in their own ways. Yeah, I think you're right and. I think one thing people are getting wrong with these generations and just with the climate. So a lot of people are kind of going economically, things are really depressed at the moment, which they are, and people won't be buying games and they won't be buying these consoles. Like I've heard people say this and it's total nonsense. People are buying more games because they have to be at home and you just look at the data. It's like so obvious, you know, if you're looking at month on month versus year on year, the numbers are just insane this year. It's the best year in video game history in terms of sales by far. And it hasn't necessarily been huge games driving that. It's just people being forced to stay at home uh, and then, you know, playing games, you know, it's a great way to pass the time. And there's only so much Netflix that you really want to watch or anything like that. And there's people getting back into gaming. So I actually think these consoles are going to be, going to sell gangbusters when they come out at the end of the year and, it, you know, even looking at the production increases that Sony did, as we mentioned last week, you know, that first year of both consoles is going to be so critical because I feel like so many people are going to be getting in. And, you know, most people don't buy both consoles like we do, right? Like, I think people are just generally going to go, I'm going to pick one or the other. And getting that momentum early, getting the message early right, it's going to be so critical um, and yeah, I think Game Pass is going to be a big thing to that. Mm. I really do, actually. I think, you know, a lot of folk just looking at it and going, oh, look, I can play 200 games straight off the bat and pretty decent games I might not have played before. 
and you know they've been enhanced for the series x that is a big selling point so i feel like unless playstation has a real heavy hitter that works well and lands well you know they might find themselves into not as much strife as the ps3 era but on the back foot more than they would have expected um but it's going to be really fascinating to see how it plays out. Like, I don't think I'm going to buy either one at launch, um, but I'm really interested to see, you know, what sort of, you know, lands well with people. Well, for me, it all depends on where Elden Ring's going to be playable. <laughs> <laughs> so if Elden Ring's only and on the... Has next... that been announced as an exclusive? No, it's not an exclusive, but I'm saying, like, okay. it might not be... They might not... Considering we haven't even seen the game other than the trailer it's very likely that game's not going to be on current consoles. So if that game gets announced and let's say it comes out towards the end of next year and it's only on the new consoles, then I'll be getting a new console. So that to me, that's... And for a lot of people, I think there are games that will dictate what their buying strategy is going to be and when they move to next gen. And weirdly mm. enough, um, it was the Dark Souls 2 Scholar of First Sin, the, port, the Xbox One port, that got me to buy an Xbox One, so it's I'm kind yeah. of repeating my <laughs> my from software <laughs> driven console <laughs> buying strategy. I think, yeah, and probably the last thing I'll say on the Xbox stuff is you know the fact that they are driving this agenda of having so many things available on the Xbox One, and then therefore the One X if you have that console, that actually could bite them in the butt a lot later because that you know just from a purchasing perspective. You know, some folk might just go, you know, I don't need to upgrade just yet. I can hold on. And then also, you know, you have your mid-cycle mid, mid cycle revisions. So, you know, they might hold on to it for a year and a bit or even two and then go, oh, maybe I just upgrade to the, you know, the next iteration of it when it comes out. And, you know, in that time period, there might also be something that jumps on the PlayStation 5 that you just go, wow, this is the only place I can play it. So, but I, yeah, it's, but, it's an interesting strategy. But I think it's an interesting strategy. that is still thinking in the mindset of what things have previously happened in generations and the way things used to work. I think if you haven't bought an Xbox Series X, but you bought Game Pass, Microsoft is probably still as happy. The fact that you actually are now on Game Pass. The whole thing to me is mm-hmm. that... that I think they're probably more excited about Game Pass subscription numbers than they are consoles being sold for Xbox Series X. Yeah, and you know what? That that's a really that's actually such a valid point, and I'll, I'll concede that to you. The fact that they're already talking about it going on the Switch and the PlayStation, and it seemed like just those two Japanese companies weren't willing to sort of allow for that full integration was the only reason why it didn't come on the Switch and didn't come on the PlayStation. It's pretty amazing. Um, and you, you, you're in a scenario now, and I feel like we probably could talk about this at the length and maybe we should schedule something in the future. I almost feel like the three companies aren't even competing with each other in a weird way. You know, like to me, the switch is often its own and it's, it's actually like trying to do a different thing than the two mainline competitors. And then they are almost competing in a different way. One's really focusing on hardware and trying to get people to buy the box Whereas, you know, Microsoft, yeah, you're right. Like it's very much focused on services and literally they've said, and they've, they're following with the action. We don't care where you play the games. We just want you to, you know, get the subscription, get the service and, you know, be able to play the games where you want to play them. And that, so yeah, no, that's a really good point. You and made. like when we talk about that, we have to bring into discussion their xCloud, their streaming, because 
that yes. that is definitely something they're focusing on, and I don't think that's going to be something that probably comes to we we properly see the influence of that for quite a few years. But I think we need to we can't forget about that when we have that discussion. So, yeah, that's true. That's true. And another showcase that happened during the week, uh, the Nintendo Direct Mini. So we haven't had a Nintendo Direct. Uh, for oh, like long, long time now. I didn't look at the numbers, but it feels like a, like a year or like at least nine months that we haven't actually had a direct, direct, full version. Uh, but we have had this mini direct and they described it as a partner showcase. So they did, I think they did a really good job really being clear about, you know, it's not going to talk about first party games, uh, you know, like basically temper your expectation and of course everyone understood that and really listened to that and you know tempered their expectations and didn't make youtube videos about what you know new mario games coming out and you know metro game and literally metro game right i'm like are you listening to what they say oh my god like (laughs) Um, the thing is right i think this was we'll talk about obviously our thoughts on everything I, i don't think it was a good showcase but it doesn't that doesn't cover the fact that people are idiots. I'm sorry. Like these people <laughs> are idiots that it was, we knew, well, let, we knew, well, let, let's no, I'll just say we knew it was only going to be 10 minutes, right? We knew it was yeah, only no, going to no, be no. third party stuff to start saying, Oh, they're going to start talking about Mario or a new smash brothers character. Or something. <laughs> it's like you, you are just idiots. I'm sorry. And anyone, because I will say that this, someone leaked that this had announced that the direct was going to happen. Right. And the time, to then go and attack that leaker <laughs> is yeah. like, I'm sorry, like those people don't deserve to have games. <laughs> well, let's let's because we do we do have a special feature where I, I do want to talk about these type of showcases, people's perception, okay. the entitlement, okay, all this okay. kind of stuff. So I think we'll go into that in detail. Um, in terms of this, I'll actually do something a little bit different. I normally run through the big things first, but just going through the smaller things. Rogue Company, WWE Battlegrounds were both shown off in this direct. The Japanese version actually had different games in it with like additional games, which is very weird because I feel like some of them, it would have benefited for actually having the games in the the sort of US and European feed. I actually don't know why they did that. Did you have a view on why they took those two games out? Look, I, I can understand uh, Adelia. I think that's how you say it. Maybe not including that yeah. one because that is very... Very niche. Um, but Sakuno Rice of Rice and Ruin, which there's an English trailer out there, you know, it's it's being released in, you know, Western Western markets. Um, that game looked so awesome. The trailer was only probably a minute. They went eight minutes out of ten minutes. They could have put that mm. in there. I don't do not understand yeah. why they didn't, because that game looks awesome. Same. Yeah. So I thought that was really weird. So I don't, I don't really have much to say about any of those four games. Uh, uh, I mean, WWE, ugh, like those those style of arcade games, I love them, but the way that they're executing those games with like insane monetization, it's just so off-putting. I don't even bother with well, those games. With, with Battlegrounds, this WWE game, right? First of all, I don't think it was the right game for the showcase. Second of all, <laughs> it's, it's a previously announced game that's been shown off in trailers and stuff. So it's definitely not news to anyone. Obviously, they you know there was a big push from uh, 2K to uh, to include it, but um, it's 
they're coming off the worst WWE <laughs> received game probably of all time, <laughs> and they've kind of gone back to the WWE All Stars style approach. So, and upfront, I'm a big wrestling fan, but I'm not a fan of wrestling games generally speaking. This game, or well, the Nintendo 64 style ones, you oh were. yeah, they were great. Um, yeah, but uh, this game looks like trash. Um, it, it may play well, but it looks horrible. Um, and other than the fact that it had Cesaro and Oscar and some, you know, some really cool wrestlers in the trailer doing some stupid stuff, um, it it was a wrong kind of game. I'm sorry, like that was that was tone yeah. deaf to put it into this. And it's very strange to me because they've recently had announcements. Nintendo, like just mini little, hey, we're releasing this or we're announcing this. The fact that they packaged it like this was a bit strange to me i didn't really understand it um the ones that i did like so uh cadence of hyrule i've actually played the demo quite a lot uh so that's based on the necro dancer series i guess you could call it now and they're basically making a physical version of this with all the dlc packs so there are additional dlc coming out i think three dlcs you can buy a season pack so it's all coming out this year and they're going to combine them all together in a physical version i'm actually kind of keen to pick that up uh, and then other sort of physical news, not in the direct, obviously. Uh, there is an Untitled Goose Game physical edition, which looks incredible. It has like one version of it has like an actual record for the music and the music's awesome in that game. And then the return of the Obra Dinn as think, well is going to have a physical. So release, I think the so. vinyl might just be a separate item that they're selling. Um, oh, yeah, I believe okay. so. I thought it was just a market thing. I thought it was like some markets they're doing that as a package, whereas here in Australia, I think it's a... CD from memory. Yeah, I, I'm pretty certain the vinyl was just a separate, but it's on the im8bit.com um, store. So ah, okay. um, pe- if people are interested, check that out. But uh, it's interesting. That's just on PS4 and Switch, which uh, makes sense. You know, they they don't need to release everything physically for Xbox, considering that user base is not as big as the other two. So, mm. and that game's a great game. I'm not, I'm not sure if you played it. It's it's such a cool Untitled game. Goose game. Um, yeah, not a fan. <laughs> Oh, really? Okay, interesting. I really liked it. And we should give a shout out um, to House House, which is a Melbourne studio from memory. It's definitely an Australian studio. I'm pretty sure it's Melbourne. So Um, I appreciate the game, but I think it's... It's like I... I definitely know why it appeals to people. It's it's cool. It's great. It's got an awesome visual style, the audio, the controls, or everything's pretty cool. I just didn't like the gameplay loop very much. And I think that uh, okay. for most people that I've heard that didn't enjoy the game, it's for the same reason. And that's so... I don't know a way around that, you know. It's like some games are just not for people. Um, yeah. That's it, you know? No, and I think... I think that's the beauty of like uh the medium now where there's just so many games you really can find that niche that you just love so much um and i i get that like uh so my wife got the game and that's how i played it she actually didn't like it that much she found it a bit too like tricky and finicky the way it worked whereas i i really liked it but i i don't love it or anything but i really liked it i thought it was a really cool game and it's just a cool game to have launched on the switch and i think it was a good seller for the switch as so well. that just goes to show i probably wouldn't play that game but it was on game pass so there you go uh, there you go again game pass i'm gonna sign uh, up to my dollar subscription we are, we are, for pc we sounding like such shields we're shilling such shields is it gonna be it's this is the week to be the shill um because i mean like it's probably gonna be like 
PlayStation's going to be the next one with all the announcements, I reckon. Maybe Nintendo, actually, you never know. But anyway. <laughs> I feel like it's you in Nintendo. And then the big reveal of the, well, I guess, you know, big, but I, you know, I, I took this totally different than everyone else. I'll just say that. So the Nintendo Direct Mini, we had uh, Shin Megami Tensei. So much more known now, the Persona series, I think, in popular culture. I don't think people as much know the Shin Megami Tensei series. But there is a HD remaster of uh, of number three. Uh, and this is coming from Atlas, obviously. And then also we had the, I don't know how you describe it, but I guess the follow-up reveal of... Shimagame Tensei 5. Now, I actually had to go back into the archives because I'm like, okay, I know that this game was announced at the launch of the Switch, but just checking it, it actually was announced in January 2017. Yeah. The new Shimagami Tensei game before the Switch even came out. And it was very clear, hey, this is coming on the Switch. This is so weird the way that they've like run with this. It, it is. But if. Without this game, the I think that there's there's nothing else to talk about. That hundred percent in this, in this yeah. you know, we talk about Cadence Viral, That's cool, right? But it's it's DLC. You know, the re, HD remaster is not uh, a flagship thing to do a like a presentation. Um, to me, what would have probably been a good fit in this whole thing was No More Heroes. Um, I don't know if that's technically if that's technically being published by Nintendo, so I don't consider it a partner. Then maybe not, but that would have been the perfect game to slot into this if they had it ready. And I know there's gameplay out there where Suda Fifty One's literally standing in front of the gameplay, so you can't see it because he's just a troll. That guy, which is awesome. <laughs> um, but there's obviously potentially footage out there. Um, but that would have been the perfect game. But with with um, SMT Five. Um, I will be upfront. I've never played any of the of the games. I've always been interested, especially I think Devil Summoner, uh, Nocturne. I remember was um, there's a lot of buzz around it when it came out originally. Um, those games are also very difficult from memory for RPGs, so they're automatically they're also very niche in terms of you know how people actually respond to them. Um, but it, it was good. Um, it's a shame they didn't actually show any of the game though. Yeah. And can I just say one thing about it? So if, or I, I guess a question to you, if they said, if the reveal was Persona 5, 6, how do you think it would have been received? I think even just a port of Persona 5 would have just, people would have, people would have been no, wrapped. But like, no, but if it was Persona 6. Uh, I think Persona 6 is a long way off being announced, so... No, no, but no, I'm not. I'm saying in the hypothetical world that it was Persona 6. How do you think people would receive? Oh, the people would have gone apeshit. Yeah, but this is this is where I feel like people... And, you know, I don't actually blame people on this one. I think this is Nintendo's fault. But Nintendo is a Japanese company, right? And in Japan, Shin Megami Tensei and Persona are kind of like at the same level. Like you go back in the sales and you know how they've been received, like it's not like as if there's a huge gap between those games. So for them, and same as you know, like something like Dragon Quest. Dragon Quest is on par with Final Fantasy, but in the West, you know, a Final Fantasy game like Final Fantasy sixteen would ha- hit way harder than Dragon Quest twelve. So I, I just kind of wonder if they've just miscalculated internally, and maybe Nintendo America didn't push hard enough. This game, like, I think probably would have hit pretty hard in Japan, mm. 
but in the West, you know, like I'm the same as you, I've never played a Shin Megami Tensei game, but, you know, just seeing everything from a Japanese point of view, sort of up there with the Persona series. And, you know, for whatever reason, Persona series has really clicked with the Western audience and Shin Megami Tensei hasn't. I'm actually really keen to play it, but I don't even know what it looks like at this stage to your point around the gameplay. Yeah, and I mean, you can kind of make an assumption based on um, the gameplay systems of the previous games if you wanted to look them up. But yeah, um, I just think that well, they did set the expectations, but I don't think they delivered even on those expectations. I think if you put even something small like adding that Sakuna yeah, game in, okay. I think it just would have helped ease that a bit because there's a lot of people that would have looked like and seen that and said, hey, I haven't heard of this game. That looks really neat. It's like a 2D side-scrolling action game that's got all these other cool um, systems in it. It's got a great visual style. Like, put that in. And look, we, we didn't really mention Rogue Company. I understand that, right? That's that's something that's... The, the system doesn't have a lot of multiplayer shooters, right? And from what I've heard mm. of that game, it's actually pretty solid, even though it's obviously probably also quite generic and we're not probably the audience for those games. But I've heard it's actually quite solid. So I understand Rogue Company. Yeah. We talked about WWE, whatever, right? It's I just think that... I don't think they had enough for this direct. I think they needed one more thing, and that's what I'm saying. If No More Heroes was applicable for the kind of criteria they had for this direct and it was ready, like... To me, they should have waited. They should have said to uh, Grasshopper and uh, Suda to say, "Okay, we want to put together a trailer and feature no more heroes in this. Don't do this direct yet. Wait for that because even that would have just been enough." I think. Mm. So, I mean, I thought the direct mini kind of hit the mark from what they said it was going to be. Now, I also acknowledge that the way they managed it, handled it, and then sort of sold it, it didn't land. Definitely didn't land. Um, the fact that they haven't had a direct in such a long period of time, people have been just hungry for any Nintendo news. This having kind of nothing to do with the first parties, even though they flagged that, um, you know, it's just still, you know, has a level of expectations from folk. Um I, I, you know, I'm really interested in Shin Megami Tensei Five. Like, I'll definitely check that out when it comes out, and and also for me, Cadence of Hyrule. The thing that stopped me from getting it is just I like to. I don't know why, but I like to have those type of games physically. Um, and yeah, when they sort of said, hey, "Here's a physical version," it's going to have all the DLC. I'm like, sweet. Like that's something I'd look to pick up. Um, so for me, overall, I thought it was good. I didn't think it was great, and it certainly wasn't hitting the mark for most people. But just uh, going into certain things, and you you have to sit back, uh, Swinney, because this is uh, going to be the Intergot <laughs> segments, because these next two items I'm super hyped about. So Rocket League, uh, this week, finally, because I feel like this was in the works for a long period of time, Rocket League is going to move to a free-to-play model. And that's going to coincide when it's jumping off Steam and going to the Epic Game Store. And I really think that, you know, and this also coincides with the fact that in the past, uh, Psionics, the developer for Rocket League, the San Diego, uh, not San Diego, San Diego, yeah, San Diego based studio, they actually were bought out by Epic Games. So it, it, you know, they actually announced at the time that they will be shifting to Epic, uh, the Epic Game Store, and they will be moving off Steam, which, you know, as a huge Rocket League fan and, you know, I've pumped in hundreds of hours into this game. 
you know, the community was very upset about that. I, I think it's fair enough. You know, they can sell to whoever they want and you already have the game on Steam. As long as you can still play it on Steam and you're getting the updates, and I think that's a really critical thing, I think it's totally fine if it means that you can only buy it on Epic. And now that they've gone to the free-to-play model, I think this, this is going to be a huge shot in the arm for Rocket League, which I'm really pumped about. Not that I totally fell off the game, but I found myself playing it a lot less in the last couple of months. And it's literally a game I'd usually play every night. Like I love it so much. And it's a game that, you know, I can play for half an hour and just get into it or longer stretches. They're doing a lot of great things. I think they're being so fair for people. So if you've already bought the game before they did the announcement, so I think the announcement was on the 25th or something like that. If you had already owned it, you're going to get all like a whole bunch of items, a whole bunch of items. They're going to have a special status you're going to get some extra items in the game that no one else can get. If you buy from now until the game comes out, you get some some extra stuff, but not all the stuff that you would have had if you had already bought the game. Um, and then, yeah, when it's going to go to free-to-play, it's also going to have cross-platform progression, which is a huge thing for me because I have it on Switch and then I also have it on PC. And I kind of stopped playing it on Switch just because... It doesn't progress my Rocket Pass, which is like the Battle Pass for Rocket League, and the accounts aren't linked, and it's just kind of annoying, to be honest. So I actually just stopped playing it on the Switch altogether. Um, so now that they have this, I'll actually probably jump on the Switch and play it in casual mode. And yeah, I'm just really, really pumped about this. The current Rocket Pass ends at the end of August. They have said that it's going to come out in summer. So you'd think that it's actually before the Rocket Pass ends, which is kind of a bit weird. Um, but maybe they're doing that because they want to get people on it. And then the next rocket pass is going to start. I think they've said September five ish. So yeah, you probably want people already on the platform playing it, but yeah, I know that you're a rocket league fan. You've, you actually got me into the game. So thank you for that. Cause I'm a huge, huge fan of it. Um, wh- what do you think about this news? What do you think it's going to result in from a rocket league perspective? Well, let's be honest. Rocket league was already free to play game. That just wasn't free. It it was. Uh, no, I disagree. Uh, it, I disagree. Sorry, man. loot boxes, battle passes, market transactions. The whole model <laughs> of the game at this point was free to play, but had an entry fee. So this is this is a move, as you mentioned. Like it's like I'm surprised this move wasn't made a while ago. But it, yeah. I understand they wanted to give people a bit of time, especially considering they, you know, they were still charging, you know. 20 to $30, you know, probably is standard price on most platforms for it. Um, brilliant game. Um, it makes sense also to extend the life um, because it's not really a game you can make a Rocket League 2 for. I think the whole thing is this is a live, live service game in every sense of the word. Um, and while, again, I haven't played in a while, um, and I mainly play on Xbox, but I do have it on Switch and have played on there. The whole cross-platform um, is huge um, progression. It, to be able to bring across the stuff I've unlocked, um, and I, I've only done like the whole Rocket Pass thing once. Um, it's not for me. You've got to mm. play it a ridiculous amount to unlock it. I know they've improved that. Well, but, they've improved that yeah. a lot. And I think at the time when you played it, it was really ridiculous. Yeah. And it's actually put a lot of people off that. So, and I'm one of those people. So who knows, maybe at some point I'll get back into it with that level. But it's anyone that's never played Rocket League and um, is put off by the idea of a live service game, forget about that. Just go in there. Just it's, it's a game that even if you're not good at it is a blast to play. 
and it's I think this is a great move. We'll see whether or not people get upset about the whole Steam thing, um, but hey, Epic own them. Why wouldn't you do this? Yeah, and they've been fair. They've, they've said clearly that you can still play it on Steam. You you will get every single update. So they've actually confirmed that. They said that they're not going to you know, make it so that eventually you have to switch. And look, I'm not, you know, maybe I'm too corporatist, but again, they're a private company. They can do whatever they want and vote with your dollars. Like if you don't want to play it, don't play it. Like that's fine, right? And I, I, you know, don't be a dick as a company, but I don't think they are. I think they're actually being super fair. You know, they're owned by Epic. You know, it'd be like Nintendo buying something and then going, oh, no, 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 we're, you know, of course we're going to keep selling some property that was only on PlayStation on PlayStation in the future. It doesn't make any sense. It's like you're buying something, you want to get benefit from it. And yeah, I think they're being fair. Like, and they're also allowing you to switch to Epic. Um, So I'm going to look at what the benefits and pros and cons of that are. Yeah, I'm super pumped about this. Please play this game. It's going to be free. I have gone back and forth at times just thinking to myself, I'm like, I don't know. I think this might be the best game I've ever played. Like, that's how much I love this game. I mean, I love the game. I wasn't expecting that, but... Well, you know know how I get ultra competitive and stuff? Like, and not good. Just to be clear to people, I'm not good at the game. But, you know, it's just so pure, the game. It's it's like the closest thing to me to sport that there is because there's not that much variability in the game. It's like a really truly competitive game. Like it's just your skill set and you know the tactics of your teammate. And then if you have like three on three, you know it's it's just an incredible game. Please play it if you've never played it when it comes out in you know a month or so. And I'm really pumped because I feel like it's going to really reinvigorate the community. And, and yeah, I get, I, I, you know, I, I'll disagree with some of the stuff you say about it is already a free-to-play game. I have Rocket Pass, but I don't really actually care a lot <laughs> about the items and the way it looks. I'll often just go stock car, and it's probably a lot less than something like Fortnite where, you know, if you play with your mates all the time, it's actually quite funny to have a very different outfit, skins, all that kind of stuff. You know, I can understand how people go down that path of buying, you know, a $20 skin. Whereas in Rocket League, uh, you just don't see it as much. People do do it, but it's just, I don't know, to me, a bit less noticeable, that stuff. maybe less so now, but when with the loot boxes, that was very much like, like, it's the only game I've ever bought loot box, like, things to unlock them and you, like... Now you can break things down and like like create things with different parts. Like the whole model is a free to play model, like Fortnite and stuff like that. Yeah, um, it definitely is. It's, and the fact that the game, from a mode standpoint, is it, there is still a lot of bare bones elements to Rocket Pass, but they focus on what they sorry to Rocket League, but they focus on what they need to. I'm not saying they're that, but there's definitely a few. You know, like on the Switch um, version. That's the only time I'm ever like, man, I wish there was a couple more single-player modes because when you're on the Switch, mm. you don't always have internet access. And that's t- times when I'm like, man, I wish there was something more I could do that didn't require internet access. But anyway, that's that's a separate discussion. But I, th- yeah, it's a good move. Good move. Yeah, and it is a shame because one thing about being on PC that's awesome is you can have uh, the workshop stuff from Steam. 
and the mods. So I actually play some of the mods. So you can actually play like training courses that get you to utilize different skills. And it would be awesome if they were in the console versions. I understand why they can't do that or they don't want to invest time in that. But I would find myself playing that on Switch into your point if if you're not online because you can practice some of your skills because the training mode is quite simplistic uh, in the base game. So it would be cool if it had something like that. But again, this is really huge news for me and for the Rocket League community. Weirdly enough, right now, you know, the Japanese Olympics were meant to happen and they were actually going to have Street Fighter 2, uh, sorry, Street Fighter 5 and Rocket League as games under the Olympic banner, not, not, you know, a sport within the Olympics, but associated with the Olympic banner as an introduction to kind of esports to a massive community. So that would have been massive for Rocket League. And I, I do kind of wonder if they always plan to do this uh, at this time, given that the Intel Cup was going to happen at this time, which obviously they've cancelled now. Um, and, you know, I'm really looking forward to next year when they do it. I'm sure that they're going to do it, especially now that it's free to play. And, you know, the last thing is I think they were forced to do it, given the next gen's coming out soon, whether people are going to go and buy Rocket League on another console you know, you could really hurt your community. So I think they've got ahead of that. And now it's just a no-brainer for people when they get their PS5s and Xbox Series X to go and download Rocket League for free and play that as one of the games that they have. Now, in news that I'm really, really, really hyped about, and this is probably 0.1% of the audience, uh, the Analog Pocket appears that it's going to go for pre-order very, very shortly. So Back about nine months ago, Analog, so Analog is a company based in Seattle, Washington. They make very high-end, you know, you call it like a clone console, but essentially it's all based on field programmable gate arrays, so FPGAs. Essentially what they are is a way to replicate hardware in hardware form. So the way, like I won't go into the super technical details, but basically what people are able to do is, you know, look at the inputs and outputs from a Super Nintendo. So if I give it this kind of signal, that kind of output happens. And they're able to actually replicate that, not in a software form, which is what you'd see with emulation. And with emulation, it's it's actually you're trying to, you know, guess and synthesize things. So it's not always 100%. Like a lot of people have gotten really, really close to 100%. But with the hardware side, it's literally like a, a, a copy of it in a different form. But, you know, you put a game in, if the game has a bug or some weird hardware issue, it will have the hardware issue in this FPGA version. So I own an analog Super NT, which is the Super Nintendo FPGA clone. And it's amazing. It's like literally like having a Super Nintendo that you can plug into a HDTV. And the analog pocket, as they announced about nine months ago, what it's going to be is a it's a handheld version with an insanely high res display so it's about 10x the original game boy resolution so it's like literally like you know whatever that is like you know 1600 by 2500 or something like that pixel by pixel um and it's going to be able to play game boy game boy color and game boy advance out of the box so you can just plug those carts into the back and it's going to have an amazing screen you know, I'm sure it's going to have an insane battery life and just looks like the perfect device. Like I'm a huge fan of handheld gaming. Um, and they announced it, but then they just really went dark. And, you know, I follow analog really closely because I do not want to miss out on this pre-order. 
and they do have a very tight window on all of their pre-orders. And I do think there is a risk that they will sell out of this, like at least in the initial batch. So, you know, the only thing they've announced really is just like they've posted a date. So the date is, you know, in Sydney time and Melbourne time, it's Tuesday, 28th of July at 1am. And then uh, in the time that they've published it, which is specific time, you know, so like in LA or Seattle, it's Monday, 27th July at 8am. And, you know, the only reason why we all kind of know in the community that it's about the analog pocket is the tweet, the color scheme of the tweet is the color scheme for the analog pocket. And they've already announced or was said before that they will make sure everyone knows the date leading up to it. So I think that this, this is their cryptic way of doing it. So I will be logging in at 1am on Tuesday and I, I just always say this whenever I mention analog, their shipping is like disgusting. It's the worst shipping cost you ever see. And it's not like they use like an amazing uh, freight company or anything like that. And it comes quick. It's like horrible. It's like DHS, I think, in Australia when it gets here and it's slow. And it's like, I'm not kidding, like a hundred US dollars to ship to Australia, like any item. And it could be like a very small item that's 50 US dollars. It's really like a painful thing. Um, but yeah, I'm super pumped about this. I don't know, like, is this on your radar? Do you know about the Swinney or interested or anything like that? Uh, I'm just waiting for the analog Atari links. <laughs> no, no. Okay. So <laughs> I'm so deep on this, dude. So they are going to release cartridge adapters. So you're going to be able to play one of my favorite consoles of all time, the Sega Game Gear, uh, the Atari Lynx, and I think also the Neo Geo Pocket Color from memory. And it, so they, they're going to have those You need the form available. factor of the Lynx. That thing, that thing was like <laughs> the head of a battle axe. It was huge. You could, you could take out like half an army with that thing. Um, and And... Talking about form factor, like that's one thing. So they also get to release a dock where you can plug it in and then plug it straight into your TV. It doesn't seem like they're going to sell that at the same time, which sucks so hard because I'd order both at the same time and then save on the shipping. You're not going to be able to do that. Like that, I just hate their shipping. It's so horrible. It's BS. Um, But the form factor is very controversial. I don't mind it. So they've gone with the classic Game Boy. Like actually, like if you look at the Game Boy Pocket, if you remember that, that's pretty much what it looks like, but with four buttons on the face instead of two. And it's got like these two little shoulder buttons on the side. A lot of people were annoyed that it didn't take a more, you know, Atari Lynx slash Game Gear slash uh, the original Game Boy Advance style, which is more comfortable for the hands. But I don't know. I kind of like it. It's got that retro feel for me. Uh, hate is going to hate. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah. So look, I'm pumped for this. This is... I feel like this is going to be the first analog device that's really going to showcase them in the right way. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really super pumped See, for this. This is going to be really for amazing. me. I'd be interested in this if I knew it was just something I could just buy at any time I wanted, knowing that I have to like purchase it within a certain window of time and it's limited offer. Um, I'm happy to let the people that super want that stuff to get it um, because if I bought it, I'd probably just sit around not playing it anyway. Um, it looks great. I'm interested in knowing about all that stuff. Um, I'm more interested in picking up anything that plays a Super Nintendo game than anything else at this point. Um, but I don't even play my SNES Classic, so I should be playing that before I think about my old games. Yeah. And look, like this thing is like going to be disgusting how expensive it's going to be. And I, I do feel very fortunate that I probably will get it. 
but it's like I, I, I take a stab at how much do you like my guess and I'm, it, I'm almost certain that it's going to cost this much money have a guess how much do you think it's going to cost for me to get it in Australian dollars to my door? Oh, the ship, just, just the have shipping, not the cost of the product. Everything, everything. no, no, everything, just everything. Um, everything. All in. 700? Oh, no, not that much, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be about like, I reckon, 420 Australian dollars. No, nice. So, <laughs> like the shipping itself is probably going to be like 100 and... 20 ish dollars or something like that, or maybe like 140 just to ship it. Like, so it's selling for 199 US dollars. Um, I think if you're in the US, this is just like to me a steal, like given everything it does and how it's structured and what it's going to do. And it's also going to have two FPGA, so you you should be able to play uh Super Nintendo, Genesis, all those type of games on it as well, uh, in like a jailbroken format. So yeah, I'm I'm super pumped about this. I like literally wrote a bot to monitor their website, so I did not miss out on it. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm in deep on this, man. I'm really pumped about. You're this. deep in the analog. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> exactly. So make sure you don't miss out. Uh, we will be publishing the podcast before this comes out. So <laughs> for the one person that listens to it, get onto it. Um, moving into di- very very different news, uh, we had some follow up around Ubisoft. And there was a really good article on Bloomberg um, from Jason Schreier. So he's moved from Kotaku to Bloomberg. And I mean, like there's, there's probably not a huge amount that was kind of, I mean, there was a lot of specificity that was revealed in this. To me, you know, it seemed like there was a bit of a culture of, you know, casual and open racism, like very strange stories that you heard, you know, about the new Star Wars movie when it got released, the uh, Force Awakens around, John Boega and I don't just really ugly stuff going on and just strange things as well. You know, when they're talking about the Assassin's Creed Odyssey was meant to have Cassandra as the lead. And then they were like, no, nah, that's not going to sell, which I don't know. Is that really a factor? I can't imagine it would be, but it, yeah, it just seems to have a very strange and kind of a bit of a horrible culture. I don't know what your thoughts on it. were. So that, yeah, that uh, Jason Schreier article, um, Bloomberg was was really eye opening. Um, mm. To actually read about it, I can understand why a lot more people are looking to you know Ye, uh, was it Yves Gilmont, uh, the CEO, yeah, to actually step down over this because of how close he was to, I guess, the primary uh, person mm. um, subject, which is a Serge Haskellet. I'm horrible with. French name, my apologies to French names, potential yeah. French listeners. But um, just given how close he was and how apparently known this was, um, now I understand why the HR person, uh, head of HR, was was let go as well because this, yeah. is, this is ridiculous. And I do have different bones to pick in this article though. Um, so as good as it is with a lot of that stuff, um, to talk about, even to briefly mention the fact that Um, Division 2 and Breakpoint didn't set the world on fire in the context of these allegations, I think is completely irrelevant. Um, To mention, oh, his creative spark was waning or whatever, I think it's just, it's muddying the waters of the important details. Mm. And everything around the whole female protagonist in Assassin's Creed games, well, in the last three, uh, in the last four games, we've had three female protagonists. So basically, we've had uh, Assassin's Creed Syndicate, you've had Evie Fry with Jacob Fry. You've had um, 
uh, Cassandra and Alexios in the last game, and then the, the newest one I'm including, you've got the ability as well there. Um, I I completely believe, you know, these are reported facts, and obviously I don't know, so I, I have to believe these more than my own thoughts about it. But I think the Ubisoft games have actually always been very good at... Um, with diversity and also with a lot of their gender representation and whatnot else that I think that what this is probably when we're talking about um, like racist culture, I, I have a feeling that it's probably at outliers as opposed to something more systemic when it comes to that. Now, obviously there's people when you don't speak up, you're essentially enabling that stuff, but we're talking, you know, this is a company that made Assassin's Creed freedom cry, which is an entire game where you are freeing slaves as a black protagonist. You know, they've done so many good things in regards to like Assassin's Creed Liberation. First mm. time there was a female protagonist in the series was a black female protagonist. So I think that the when we're talking about the sexual allegations um, and that horrible culture, I believe that is probably the core thing here. Obviously, the John Boyega comment is horrible. Um, and the person that said that, I hope that if they if they do have a job, then I hope that they seriously uh, have been reprimanded for that kind of behaviour. But I, with the whole protagonist thing, yeah, it's weird because obviously Cassandra would have been an amazing sole protagonist for Odyssey. But the one thing that I had the most issue was with them saying about Syndicate. So Syndicate, um, I know you're not as familiar with the Assassin's Creed games or uh, Intergot, but um, the, so you had the brother and sister. They actually said that J- Jacob was the focus towards the end of the game, which is completely not true. They mm. and I, I, I remember that game very fondly. It's a brilliant game. They either shared the spotlight, or honestly, Evie was probably more. She was more focused on in some ways because she was actually the the person, the logical person, like Jacob was some guy that just liked fight, the brother just liked fighting, got into trouble all the time. For them to say, focus on Jacob is completely wrong. So I, that's mm. where I have the bonus for this article is that you're taking things that I think are not true and weaving them into this fabric of things that are incredibly important to talk about and horrible. And so the, I just wanted to make sure that, you know, like those things didn't go, um, you know, untouched. So... Yeah, and that's a good thing to mention. And I mean, you know, I wouldn't want to bring this up, but, you know, the whole feminist frequency thing, and it was brought up in the article actually about Gamergate. So that's kind of the, Mm. you know, the angle that I take on this. You know, I think, look, I think we're both pretty similar, which is like very, you know, left-wing generally with these kind of issues. You know, but I think you do run into trouble where you're either conflating things or, in my opinion, lying about things you know, structuring something and saying, oh, it's this game is built around, you know, killing people or killing women or bashing them. And it's like, actually, no, the actual game punishes you for doing that, you know, and that just really uh, undermines your own point, which is actually a really valid point, right? And I don't know, for me, it's just interesting that it seemed like the team wanted to have a, you know, female only lead. And then it seemed like it was overruled. So, and again, I don't, I don't sweat those kind of things in terms of like, no, you have to have that, mm. but it, it is interesting how as an output of the industry, you know, same as like a game that we both love, Smash Brothers only has, I think four 
or five female only characters you know there's a lot of characters you can play female or male um but there's not many that are just purely female and yeah it's just you know it's an interesting one of like how these situations yeah and and you've had other people leave the studio as well like you just had the head of the quebec studio uh which is another huge part of ubisoft leave not because of these allegations but you know they've sort of i believe you know they brought forward their retirement not that they have anything on them it's a it's a woman in this case and i don't think there's any allegations against her but you know you often probably don't want to be in that environment maybe she's just had enough as well and yeah see i think just looking at the article again the exact quote was in about the whole syndicate thing they say in the end jacob dominated the game that is an outright lie so that yeah and that's the yeah, problem with Jason yeah. in these kind of, in, in like, I actually, he's probably the one of the only games journalists I actually read almost every single article he writes because he does get really good scoops, but he does have a very strong bias and it comes through in his writing. And like, to your point, it's just like some of these things are just not true, mm. but they're almost a subjective thing that he then frames as truth when I think even subjectively, it's very hard to make some of the cases that he makes. Yeah, and I don't want to take away like again, like I I I love the work that he does. He's easily yeah. the the most respected journal games journalist in the industry. And um I think that just goes to show that just by moving from Kotaku to Bloomberg, Bloomberg has automatically become the one of the, the outlets to watch on this stuff just from one person. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. I, agree. I know. Well, I, I literally do not look at Kotaku anymore now that he's left. <laughs> so, and I'd look at Bloomberg for these kind of news as well. So, yeah, that tells you a lot. And by the way, his book, Blood, Sweat and Pixels, to me, is probably the best video game book out there. And he's writing another book uh, of the similar similar ilk. And it'll be a day one purchase for me on my Kindle. And I'll read through that. Um, he's, a, he's a fantastic writer. I just wish he uh, was a little bit more objective with some of the some of the things that he writes about but that's just my view and it probably sounds like your view as well um but he is a great writer we've seen that uh metacritic have actually responded to a lot of the feedback and i think a lot of the feedback that studios are giving them and they're actually delaying users from actually entering reviews into the system for 36 hours after a game gets reviewed and the thing i love about it is i don't know if we have the quote but it actually, if you try to review it, it, it actually tells you in a very condescending way, something along the lines of, you know, please play the game before <laughs> you review it's it. It's awesome. <laughs> oh, man. I. What do you think about this? Because I probably have a different take. Nothing pisses me off more about game gamers than them doing this kind of crap. It. Mm. This this sullies the reputation of anyone that enjoys playing games. Um, that whole, oh, they're a gamer. And obviously there's a whole lot of negative connotation. This is one of them, and this is why. People going in, going on to Metacritic, and the moment that it's put up, just bombing the hell out of it because of, in this case, let's say Last of Us 2, a recent example, right? They didn't say it's specifically in response to this, and likely they'd already planned this because this stuff takes time to plan. Um, yeah. You know, to go on there and review bomb the game because it doesn't fit your ideals and it's essentially driven by bigotry and hatred. The, this is such a good move. I honestly wish they didn't have user reviews, but I understand that's what drives a lot of traffic to their sites. So they wouldn't want to remove the ability to do that, of course. I 
this is great. I wish it was longer. I wish it was at least a week. With considering how long games take these days to actually play through, um, I don't think you can review a game, um, modern games within three days anyway. But hey, I think it's a trade off, and I think this is um, this is a great move. Mm. So I, I thought we'd have a different perspectives we do have the same fundamental perspectives that people jumping on and review bombing a game and you know i hate with a passion when people give things tens and zeros it's just not it's not possible for like some movie or a tv show or whatever and or game in this case to get a zero or a 10 in a lot of cases in my opinion right it's just dumb and you know when you jump on something like last of us 2 and give it a zero like almost objectively you can say that game cannot get a zero it should be impossible you know, the amount of love, swear, tears, art, creation, you know, sure, maybe you really didn't like the game, didn't get along with it and give it a four or something like that. But to give it a zero or whatever the lowest rating is one, it's so dopey um, and it just has no impact. It's not like get a sell or not sell any games. It does get articles written about it, not articles I read, but I think this is a really dumb change. Like it doesn't matter. And you know, the the thing that they should have implemented, and it's what Steam does, is, and it's much better, is they actually show a graph of user reviews. So it's actually more of like a sentiment meter. And when you look at it, you actually could just see the idiots that have, because they all do it at the same time, right? So when you see it on Steam, certain games, it's like, oh, very well supported. And then all of a sudden it dips, right? And then it pops back up to a normal level. And that's what would happen with this. Like... If they actually had a chart of what people thought of the game, you'd just see at the start, oh yeah, dip down and then it's come back up. But because Metacritic uses the same system as like, you know, people have actually written proper reviews, like they've actually got themselves into a pickle with this situation. And it'd be much better if they just had, you know, what are the what's the timeline of when people have actually given these reviews? Because one thing I will say is sometimes those reviews are actually helpful because, you know, there's something that hasn't been flagged in uh, video game reviews prior to the game launching. And let's be real, a lot of these companies that review the games are like bought by the industry. Like it's impossible that Call of Duty every year gets like a 9.5 from IGN. It's just I don't impossible. agree with that necessarily. Okay. Well, I like, yeah, I think we'll need to chat about this because we're running really long but at another time. But look, I, I think that the video game industry is way too insular it's way too bought off oh, i'm not disagreeing with that it's almost like disagreeing the specific oh, okay. example you gave but yeah oh okay fair enough but yeah i just feel like it's it's got that marvel thing of you know the marvel fandom and you know it's very well uh taken the piss out of by red letter media with the nerd crew you know it's kind of like they have to hype it up even if they don't like it or else they won't get access and they need access to be able to get eyeballs on them and video games suffer from that big time more than any other kind of review and critique media and you know these user reviews to me are really helpful sometimes where people go hey this doesn't work in the game or this is really broken and it hasn't been mentioned in the proper quote unquote uh critique reviews um so I, yeah i'm kind of annoyed that they have taken that out of it and I don't like the review bombing, but to me, it's just like, uh, who cares? It's the internet. They're going to review bomb it anyway. They're just going to do it 36 hours after. And that's what they've done. Yeah. I, and you know, if you made it a week, they're going to do it after a week. I'm telling you, that's what the internet yeah, does. But I think what we need to do is we need to give this time and see if it's actually improved those or not. So I think we come back to this when we have 
more examples of how, if it's actually had a positive impact or not. Sure. And I'll bet right now they're going to review bomb it at the 36 hour mark. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. We also had a, a Nintendo quote unquote giga leak. Now I don't know how much, cause this is kind of relatively breaking news. This has only happened in the last 12 to 24 hours. Uh, it seems like there's been a really big hack of uh, Nintendo data. And I don't kind of want to go into it too much because I mean, that shouldn't happen. Um, and it's not something I'll like condone or download or anything like that, but there has been a lot of interesting stuff revealed from it, including early prototypes of Super Mario Kart, Super Mario World 2, Super Mario World itself, uh, source code for a lot of like first party IP uh, games from Nintendo, like Legend of Zelda, Link to the Past, Super Mario RPG, etc. And there's also like a Pokemon MMO um, that was going to be on the Game Boy and PC. I mean, th- this is kind of crazy. It's like Nintendo has a l- huge degree of security and yeah, it just seems like they've totally dropped the ball somehow in, in this space and it's been leaking on all all places 4chan. Oh, that, that bastion of uh, journalistic integrity <laughs> 4chan. Um, yeah, look, there's part of me that finds this cool and there's a part of me that thinks this sucks um, because... I definitely believe in um, in intellectual property. Um, I, don't, I think there's a lot of people that believe in the concept, whether or not it's the way it's applied can be obviously very debatable. Um, and so I think getting access to this stuff is sometimes can you know have a negative consequence, but we'll see. This could just be you know something that this doesn't really have a big impact on anything and it's just we get some cool tidbits. So if that's the case, then it's neat stuff. Yeah, I think so too. And I certainly don't condone this. And I think if you are in possession of something like this, you should not leak it, Um, you know, because it's not the right thing to do. And, you know, again, a lot of people view things like this as like everyone owns it, so it should be public. I don't believe in that. I think if it's in the public interest, like is the government doing the wrong thing, that's very different. Uh, but this is a private company. This is their source code. This is their IP. It doesn't have a right to be out there, but there's already been some interesting stuff that's come from it. Um, and I just hope that there's nothing devastating for Nintendo. Like, uh, you know, I would hate for them if, you know, there's a huge amount of leaks around future titles that we don't know about. Because, you know, they've always got stuff uh, cooking up. And I, I personally hate those kind of leaks when they come out because it sort of just spoils a bit of the fun of of the reveals and as things come out. And we've also had uh, the rapper Logic, who has retired from the hip-hop game and then signed a deal with Twitch. This is this is weird. <laughs> I don't know what you thought of this. He's done a seven-figure deal uh, with Twitch. He sort of streams a little bit back and forth, and he is a huge video game fan. I've, I've known that in a lo- for a long time, and his latest album has just dropped and he, he's stated that he's not going to be rapping anymore. And he's a bit of a divisive figure, unfairly, I would say. He's, he's a really good rapper. I like him. I'm not a huge fan, but I feel like he gets a lot of judgments just about who he is and the style that he is and how he portrays himself. And I'm, um, but yeah, what were you think? What were your thoughts about so this? I'm, I'm not one to provide any insight into Logic's career. I've only ever heard a couple of tracks that he's on or that he's done. Uh, seems like a super talented dude, though. Um, the... This is interesting. So I'm, you know, I mentioned before that you know I'm 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 a big wrestling fan, and I've actually seen this happening in the wrestling world as well. So you've got, for instance, some 
they recently released a whole bunch of wrestlers from WWE, and some of them actually just set up and they're they're streaming almost full time on Twitch now. And obviously, that's also mm. because of the situation where we're in. It's very difficult to really do what they do in the middle of a pandemic. But I think this is not going to be the first case of you know considerably well known uh, artist doing this. Um, it's there's a lot of MMA fighters that stream on Twitch as well. There's um, it, it happens quite a bit, and I think you'll see a lot more of them retire and move into doing that full time. Mm. And signing and signing yeah, and it, it, to do it. So. Yeah, and it's one of those things that if you can find an audience of however many, many of tens of thousands of people, it is probably a sustainable career to a point. I, I just don't know about the longevity of this stuff. You know, it's kind of like making good money, but not amazing money for a period of time. I just don't know if people are going to find themselves in a really tricky spot. You know, in five to ten years' time, where they're sort of, you know, what are they doing with their lives? Type of thing. I mean. But, you know, everyone has their own A rapper retiring, like, I don't know much about Logic, but what if things don't work out, he just makes another album. He gets back into the game. Yeah, no, that's know, what's the, That's the risk, yeah. you know. Like, to me, it's more of a risk for people like those MMA fighters that get out of their training. Yes. They can't get back yes. and do it, you know, so. Yeah, that's definitely true. That's definitely true. And he's also a multimillionaire already. So he's a fairly big uh, name and he's sold a lot of albums. So he's... He's not going to be hurting, you don't think? Uh, I'll, I'll probably let you um, handle the next uh, two items. Yeah, so we've had a couple of really awesome announcements in the last couple, uh, couple of days for me, specifically. Um, so Earthlock 2 um, was announced. So Earthlock was a really cool indie RPG that was essentially a JRPG in, in style. It wasn't uh, made by Japanese developers, but it basically played... It was very similar to the Tales games in presentation, uh, but it had turn-based instead of uh, real-time combat. So it's been announced for coming in 2022 for PlayStation 5, Series X, um, PC, PS4, and Xbox One, which is interesting because that's quite a while away for them to say it's going to be PS4 and Xbox mm. One as well. But it makes sense. Those kind of games can be multi-platform without much hassle because they're not super big budget. But they're actually changing from turn-based combat to real-time. Um, what's interesting about Earthlock is those developers are awesome because what they did was they... Earthlock was, it launched on Xbox Games of Gold. So before there was Game Pass, and they've still got Games of Gold, but Games of Gold was the main thing on Xbox. Okay, you're on Xbox Live, you get a couple free games every every month. So they launched the game on that. So I would have probably got it anyway, but I played through it, beat it, got all the achievements, great. Then they actually announced that they were going to be doing an overhaul of the game. And what they Mm. did was um, they completely remade the game um, in many ways, it had um, like different systems and, and everything. So, sorry, I wouldn't say completely remade. I'd say like they remade probably thirty percent of the game, which is a considerable amount. But it was a different achievement list, a different game in theory and in a lot of ways. And anyone that had already had the game, even if they got it free from Games of Gold, just got the upgrade for free. They just gave it to people. Mm. It was so awesome. Oh, okay. Weird. So really great developer. Looking forward to that. The other one that was announced was um, Auden Chronicle. So this is really cool, and I haven't seen this reported many places yet uh, as of the time when I took these notes. Essentially a spiritual successor to Suikoden, which is a very popular Mm. RPG series, obviously not a huge mainstream series. Um, I've only ever played Suikoden 5 on PlayStation 2. Um, The series is... 
is renowned for having huge cast of recruitable characters, like sometimes like a hundred different uh, people you can re- recruit to your parties, and really cool battle systems. And it's essentially it's a Kickstarter, um, and it's being worked on apparently by some former Suikoden, Wild Arms, Tales, and Castlevania devs. So the Kickstarter mm. starts on July 27th and runs until uh, late August. And it's initially just going to be on PC, but the stretch goals will determine which platform. So my assumption the next stretch goals will be PS4 or 5, probably PS5 given it's a Kickstarter, PS5 and Switch, I imagine. Um, but the art style is awesome um, from, I guess, the prototype they've got up. It looks very similar to Octopath. In, in many ways. So I reckon that when people start noticing what that is, it'll get a lot more buzz to it. So, Oh my God. I'd say I just opened it because I hadn't heard of this game before. <laughs> I mean, it feels like a Chinese copy of Octopath <laughs> yeah. Traveler. It's amazing. Like, it's really like, you know, some of the screenshots, not so much, but some of them are just like, they look like they've got the exact same yeah. angle and like zoomed in you know perspective. What? I'm cool and, with that. Bring it on. Bring it on. <laughs> yeah, look, like, I think the Octopath stuff is really clever. Like, it's a way to... Because, you know, it's actually a lot quicker these days to build out the environments in 3D and then, you know, the art style of the 2D sort of art style of the characters. I, I think it looks awesome. Yeah. Like, Octopath looks amazing. So, yeah, I'm the same. Bring more games yeah. like this. That'd so, we'll awesome. see whether or not, obviously, you know, it's a Kickstarter, so the project may not move ahead. But um, it mm. might be the first Kickstarter I've backed in a long time, so... Yeah, I've only backed a few. I'm always very nervous about backing games. I don't think I've backed a game on Kickstarter. I think that that would be very nerve-wracking. Final Fantasy VII, the remake, part two. There has been an update. There's been another interview uh, with the devs, with Famitsu, and there's been a translation of the interview. The reason why I wanted to raise this is the thing that caught my eye was they said, you know, they... They didn't want to rush through it because there was some commentary after they released Final Fantasy VII Remake, I guess part one, you can now say, that they sort of want to get through the the rest of the game. And now it seems like they're kind of backtracking on that a bit and they want to get to the same level of quality of Final Fantasy VII Remake. I just get a sense that this is either going to take 30 years to do this game (laughs) or they're just never going to finish it properly. Like the the actual to the level that they did Final Fantasy VII remake. Yeah, what do you? You think? can't see me, but I'm just shaking my head at the moment. There's so many. <laughs> I don't want to be negative on this because the remake, which I haven't played because it's only on PlayStation. Yeah. We've talked about the fact that I don't own PlayStation at the moment. Um, so I'm looking forward to playing that either in its PC port or when they hopefully port it to Xbox. Um, but I know a lot about it. I know everything happens in it. Um, so I've, I mean, spoiling yourself on a remake seems weird but they do change a lot so um but yeah. the thing is that that game is so massive and yeah. that is only the first disc that they've done for the first one yeah i just don't exactly shake my head because i'm like how like but that's what i how said how are you gonna do this it's 30 years right like, <laughs> okay i'm expecting to not have an overworld which is a shame but so many rpg days don't have an overworld because they yeah. just don't like they don't do them anymore. They're very rare. Doesn't translate into style, yeah. I guess. And I'm like, okay, so I I just don't know how they're gonna do it. Because there are so many locations in that game, like a lot of the old ones, but at least with Final Fantasy Ten, 
like they made that more linear and not as many locations, right? But Final Fantasy VII, there's just so many places and so like there's an entire o- like you got the overworld, but then there's the also the ocean is an overworld, which is pretty hard to explore. Mm. But it's like how are they going to do this? Like I, I the remake by all accounts is brilliant and they did an amazing job with it, but. I just still wish they just would have made made a prettier version of, of what they did <laughs> the first one. Then they may have had the game out by now. Oh uh, well, I don't know. And I, I, Square Enix is a very weird company. They they I don't know their management style seems to be a bit bizarre to me. And they just really let certain people run with things, and it's kind of cool in that way because you get some weird stuff from them. But this game and the way it's been structured and released and. It's just so weird. I feel like people are just happy to get what they can from it. And yeah, you're right. Like I haven't played Final Fantasy VII Remake either. I, I'm actually really keen to play it, but I want to play Final Fantasy VII first, uh, the original. And yeah, it just feels like from everything you're hearing and just simple maths, oh. right? If Midgar and getting out of there and that's X amount of time in the original game. And then in this version, it's like 40 hours-ish like and how long it's taken to make the remake and like the fits and starts and everything like that. And it's not like square Enix these days is that quick at producing these type of games. You just go, well, this is going to be like a four part game and it's taken them how long to make the remake. So like what is this literally going to take 20 years, maybe on the pace that they're going or 15 years. I'm I honestly, I would be cool with them cutting a whole bunch of crap from final fantasy seven but people wouldn't be, right? There's yeah, a lot of... Yeah, I replayed that game last year again. And I've played through that game about probably six times overall since it came out. Mm. Um, originally, it was one of my favorites. It's definitely dropped down a little bit since replays. Just not so much... any Nothing to do with the battle design or the graphics or anything. It's all about the narrative structure and the fact that they take you to some places that just seem illogical and just really weird. There's really weird stuff in that game. Um, Midgar yeah. is really grounded and then they just go weird places i'd be cool with them actually cutting some of that stuff but they i don't think they want to and they they mm. this is the bizarre thing to me they seem so adamant about adding things in like they've added entirely <laughs> new massive plot threads that now require <laughs> more work to resolve <laughs> it's like the whole evangelion rebuild movies yes it's like, I understand with those, like but is this like is that. even worse because they've essentially changed the entire fabric of the narrative. And I'm that's cool. Gives people no experience, but like, are you expecting this to be a 20-year project? Because it seems like that's the well, kind of the pace they're going at. And, and let's be real. Like, look at the reality with Square. I mean, they're kind of willing to do that. Look at Kingdom Hearts. Like... They're willing to, you know, spend 10 years on something if they have to, or, you know, just by being allowed to, I guess. And I guess the team who made it and given how well it was received and and how nervous, you know, everyone was around the game that everyone, I feel like a lot of people thought, oh, wow, this game's going to suck. And then there was that really late trailer that came out, you know, six months before the game actually came out where people were like, hey, hang on, this actually looks pretty good now. And, you know, it kind of blew a lot of people's socks off. And I feel like it had very high expectations. So the fact that people really liked it is impressive. I, yeah, look, like, I'm I'm telling you, dude, like, this is going to be like 2040 by the time they finish this series, <laughs> which is kind of wild. Like, it really could happen. It really could happen. 
because they're going for it. Like they, they've literally said they're going to try to maintain that level of quality and they've already gone on so many branching paths with the remake. They have to go down those angles and they will. So it's just wild. So, so watch this space. I don't think we're going to really hear much about it for maybe not even in this next generation, who knows, or it could be late in the, in the next gen again. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. Yacht Club Games uh, hiring for a 3D team project. Now, this has kind of bubbled up a few times in the the folk behind Yacht Club Games. So that's the Shovel Knight uh, developer. They've said that they want to stay in that Shovel Knight universe, but really branch out the types of games that they're making. Uh, really interesting. Like, I, I'm I'm super keen to see what will come from this. Shovel Knight in 3D. I mean, they've kind of made jokes about making their, like, literally, like, Mario 64, but, like, Shovel Knight 64-type game. Would would you be down for that, or what would you want to see I still need to play Shovel Knight first. Oh, you haven't I've played I've only played, like, the first oh, stage, well. but I've played it multiple times. So, <laughs> so good. Yeah, it's great. So good. It's one of the rare occasions I've actually played a game and beaten it, and you haven't played it that much, but... um. Yeah, no, Shovel Knight's an amazing, amazing game. Like, I kind of went into it going, oh, everyone's hyping it and played it a little bit on the 3DS. And then I got it on the Switch uh, when it was on sale. And yeah, I played through it. I'm like, wow, this this is just amazing. I would say skip the second campaign or second game. It's hard to describe um, because there's a bit of a remix of the first one. And then the later releases that they did were much better, like uh king of king of cards and things like that so it's a great game very good uh deal to still buy on whatever platform you're on and yeah i think that this is probably a couple of years away but i'm really going to be interested to see what they do because i just like their design sensibility i think they've got a very uh very clear vision of what they want so i think it'll be really interesting to see what kind of game they're going to make and uh platoon 2 the splatfests somehow are back so we had the special one-off uh, rehash version of the Splatfest and they had actually announced that they were finished similar to Splatoon 1 they finished they actually it's a part of the narrative as well like how they finished it and they literally called it the final final fest and <laughs> I should send you a photo I actually have a t-shirt of the Splatoon 2 final fest like Nintendo had a very limited release of them and I bought one and now, yeah, there's going to be another three bonus Splatfests. So I feel like there's something going on with Splatoon 3. Like maybe they were looking to release it this year and it's been delayed or something. Because, I mean, there's been no announcements, but just looking at the timing and it's not the kind of game that, you know, would take that long to develop. But with everything going on with COVID-19, maybe maybe that's what's happened. And they've gone, you know what? They're actually going to have Splatfest all the way out into 2021. I don't know, like, do you share a similar thought or are you just thinking that they just want to engage people? I just think they know they've got a captive audience that's people stuck at home. Let's give them something more. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And we also saw that uh, there was a really cool kind of uplifting little piece of news that with Animal Crossing, so in Taiwan, someone had uh, misplaced their Switch and the Taiwanese police actually logged into their Switch and message someone within Animal Crossing, one of their friends, to say they've lost their Switch and can you come to the police station to grab it? I love this kind of news and I love that. I feel like this would never happen in Australia. I feel like the Australian police would just throw it in the bin or something. <laughs> but I do love how they actually went down that path of messaging people. Simultaneously awesome, but so damning of Nintendo's 
online approach because the fact that they had to, <laughs> to even message the friend, they couldn't even do it via the Switch itself, is quite humorous to me. Or that it doesn't have some functionality, go, where's my Switch? Or something like that, like you have with the iPhone. So I thought that was a cute little piece of news. And I'll, I'll hand over to you for the next two items. Yeah, so there's um we had game makers toolkit so uh mark brown who was uh you know games journalist um started game makers toolkit awesome channel probably the best youtube channel um that's covering game design in my opinion they had yep i'd echo i think it's easily yeah they um they had the gmtk game jam um over in july which is run on itch.io so this game jam has been hosted annually since 2017 um and there was a i think Five and a half thousand submissions. So apparently the biggest jam in HIO's history and possibly the biggest one online ever. And the whole thing is, mm. you know, they the user rated uh, ratings, I should say, uh, provide the shortlist and uh, down to 100. And Mark Brown himself actually went through that 100 and then chose to highlight 20 on his channel. So go and check it out. I watched the games that were highlighted, those 20. And, oh, my God, they're amazing. Uh, there's definitely some you like, hmm, don't think that this one was put together entirely in a weekend. But um, they're all based on a the theme of out of control. So some of them, like, there's an awesome little pigeon game that basically there's a countdown to when the pigeon jumps every time. And you've got to kind of maneuver around, but you can also glide. There's just so many cool games. So check them out. Game Makers Toolkit on YouTube. Yeah, and I yeah echo everything you say, and you know I've been mucking around with Game Maker Studio, and I actually had booked in some leave to participate in this uh, game jam, and then you know it just didn't pan out because it was quite busy at work. Uh, but this is like a really cool idea; it's a really cool thing that they do, and this thing is just growing exponentially. So it's literally almost like doubling every year that he's doing it. Last year, I remember uh, Itch.io actually crashed hmm. because of this game jam, so they needed to upgrade the way that they, they ran these game jams. Um, and, you know, that's a good problem for Itch to have. And I've gone and played a few of these games from the last year's game jam, and it's pretty amazing how people can come up with these concepts so quickly. And they are allowed to use existing frameworks, assets that they have. Uh, it just needs to make sure it still hits the theme. So you're probably right. Like there's, you know, technically probably not from scratch uh in in a 48 hour period but it is amazing that people can make these type of ideas like really really clever ideas you know in such a short limited time so and it was a really cool theme as well like he's a very smart guy um and i'm always interested in what kind of themes he he puts together and i like this year's one uh out of control thought that was really cool yeah and we also had a whole bunch of game prototypes actually uploaded to the internet archive, which um, is awesome. So, you know, there's a lot of games, whether or not they're games that came out and they're prototype versions of them. Um, so we're talking about Double Dragon, Street Fighter 2, Mega Man 3, but also games that didn't actually come out, like Akira um, for, I believe, I don't know the prototype, mm. but I know that there was a, a Super Nintendo and Genesis versions of those planned. And there's 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 a lot of information out there about the Akira game. And I remember seeing that in magazines when I was a kid as well. Um, but it's cool. So they were uploaded by the Hidden Palace. So they're a preservationist um, video game wiki. And the way it works is you can actually play these uh, via browser. So currently they've added to the pool of which there's about 934 ROMs playable at the moment. A lot of these prototypes are not going to be fully playable. So some of them might, um, you know, get past the first stage and crash, but that's what the prototype is. But it's a really cool piece of news. And um, 
I'm all for anything that's preserving the history of video games. Yeah, I'm I'm totally in the same camp. I just think that they've they've always been playing with fire internet archive. They they have a lot of like ROM databases online and backed up. And I'm all for preservation. Preservation is different than um actually, you know, becoming a channel where people can get ROMs. And I think now that they have this and it's playable <laughs> within the browser and it just kind of removes all those steps. So even, you know, someone, you know, at Capcom, like some exec can go, well, wait a second, they can play like a, a beta version of Mega Man. Like, no, nah, that's not, that's not going to fly. I, I feel like. For, from my yeah, understanding, Internet Archive has a lot of exemptions from like DMCAs and things like that. So I wonder if they're actually, um, because they're, because it's a preservationist style approach that um, it's similar to mm. like museums and things like that, where they're probably protected from some of that stuff. But whether or not that's the case, whether it applies to every region, every, you know, obviously a lot of these companies are based in different countries and there's different copyright laws and stuff. So, um, yeah, I think that um, I like the idea of people being able to play in a browser. I don't like the idea of people, people being able to download the ROMs. Um, you know, so mm. yeah, that's, I, I think it is yeah. interesting and yeah, it does. It is a bit of a double-edged sword in some ways. Yeah. I just worry that it's going to take down their whole operation. And I think they play a really important part in the preservation uh, of gaming, which is just not at the level it should be. And, you know, we're literally losing games. Like there's a lot of, it's more probably in the PC space, but there's games that are disappearing that they can't find copies of anymore, which is not good. And in other really cool news, uh, there's been an announcement. It's very obvious that this was going to happen, but Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is uh, going to be coming out in cinemas in April 8th, 2022. And they're going to go back to the old style of Sonic just to be controversial and beef up the marketing <laughs> budget and get people watching it. So I was kind of blown away and I didn't click straight away. Dumb, you know, it's kind of dumb on my part. I mean, it did the 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 box office of this uh, movie was 306 million US. So what, like about 400 and, you know, maybe almost 500 million Australian dollars, uh, which is massive. Like, let's be real. Number one video game movie of all time. But I was kind of taken aback for a second that it's the second highest grossing film of 2020. And then I'm like, oh wait, 2020. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And the cinemas are closed down. What do you think the number one film for 2020 is at the moment. And I think with everything, the way it's going, unfortunately may be the number one film for 2020 from a box office. Is it Trolls World Tour? <laughs> no, close. Bad Boys for Life. <laughs> I, I even forget that film exists. I know. I think Will Smith wants to as well. Wow. Yeah, it's... um, I haven't seen it, but there's nothing stopping me from watching it one day. Um, I... <laughs> man... That that you're talking Sonic, about Sonic, yeah. right? Not not, not bad boys <laughs> yeah, for life. life. Um, although I'll probably watch that one day. But um, the <laughs> man, the the journey of that film is just man. Neg- that's that's a, that's like a case study in waiting for anyone that like is studying negative how negative press can actually get you more attention, and mm. it's all about how you respond to it that determines whether or not it works in your benefit or not. Yeah, totally agree. And 
I, I think it's dumb, the people who have the conspiracy theories like, oh, they did it intentionally and then they changed it and they had it already working in the background. I'm like, there's just no way that they would have done that. Like, that's just not how these corporations work. I, I It'd blow my mind if they did that on purpose. Oh, I definitely, and I, I definitely don't it. think that's the case, but it wouldn't surprise me if for the sequel they start thinking of how could we possible, possibly do something like, not to that level, but like, Oh, someone doesn't like the way that Tails looks. Maybe we can modify it. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they want to repeat it. Well, I, what would be really funny, and if I was in the marketing team, it'd be like, you know, how can they make it so that there's a scene in the film where there's like a distorted world or something and they look all screwed up, you know? They look like the version, the original version that everyone hated. And then it's like a you know, a hard cut, like, you know, record scratching cuts, like, oh, no, you know, oh, thank God I'm out of that, you know, bizarro world yeah. or whatever. So then it can get people going, look, they've, they've gone back to the models and, you know, the whole clickbait kind of articles and videos on YouTube. I feel like that's almost inevitable. They'll do that somehow. Yeah. And maybe they'll have tales, like a rendition of tales in that art yeah. style. Because <laughs> I feel like people would like, that's just so clickbait, man. That's that's clickbait 101. Yeah. You know, people will love to have yeah, it. And then, so talking about tales, man, I it took me so many years to realize his what his name was, why why he was called what he is. So his name's Miles Tails Prowler, right? I didn't yeah. realize the whole time when I saw it written that it's Miles Prowler, like miles per hour. Oh, and I'm like, yeah. oh my god, that's such a cool pun that I just never knew as a kid. <laughs> Because I remember, like, seeing Miles <laughs> Prower, like P W O E R. You're not like saying yeah, it out loud, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because once you say it out loud, you go exactly oh, when you yeah, read I it, you it. don't think of it. So <laughs> even I had to say it in a certain and way I mean, to not sound make it sound as so close to per hour. So, and I haven't seen it. I actually do want to see it. Like when I, you know, when you're kind of in a brain dead mode, that's probably the best time to see it. I like the Pokemon game. Uh, sorry, the Pokemon movie. I thought that was really decent. I know they're making a sequel to that and they're probably going even harder in the, you know, traditional Pokemon space there. And uh, Mario movies coming out in a couple of years. I like these movies. I'm not a hater like everyone else is with them. I think that they're fine. They're not like what the other movie I just wanted to quickly touch on, Tenet. And like this movie is just constantly being delayed and they still want to release it in August, I think. But just looking at, you know, the highest uh, gross of the year, I just, are they really going to reopen cinemas and get people watching this film? At this point, Tenet's not going to come out until next year, so. Have they confirmed no, it's that? pretty much, it's like, that's what oh, a lot okay. of people are saying. It's like, Nolan is so adamant that it that he wants it to be shown in cinemas first, um, that it's, and obviously the US is the, the, the key um, market for that. So, yeah. yeah, we'll see. I'm, I'm, anything Nolan makes I'm going to watch so same same and I think he's actually smart to hold out hold back and only do it in the cinema like his films translate so differently like they're still so fantastic at home but he's just so you know and it's a dumb thing to say but he's so cinematic you know like he's 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 very much the Kubrick of our era for me and you know it's just I, I totally get where he's coming from and he's actually got a lot of money on the on the line with this movie he's got this amazing deal, like one of the best deals the director's ever had. He literally has like something like 30 points or like 30%, I think actually, 
um, off every first dollar gross, which is just insane. Like a director never gets a deal like that. So he's personally going to make a huge amount of money if it's, if you know, it goes really well. So I can understand why he's happy to wait and pause because he's not paying for the marketing budget and it's a first dollar thing. So it's not actually going to hit him. So yeah. Yeah. I, I just think I look at it and go, wow, bad boys for life genuinely could be the number one grossing film of, of 2020 and the Sonic movie could be number two, <laughs> which is congratulations. Funny. Will Smith. And it, <laughs> exactly. He's back. Um, and then finally, just our last quick piece of news is around worms. Armageddon. Amazingly, it's had an update to 3.8 and very much driven by the community. And it's really cool because it was actually endorsed um, by the team behind Worms. And I think it's like a, a gesture of goodwill given that they've got Worms Rumble coming out shortly. And probably the biggest thing that I'll just highlight is because uh, I actually downloaded and bought Worms Armageddon recently because we were chatting about playing it. So actually with this version that they've released, the good thing about it is it's so much easier to record footage from it, to stream it, do all of this kind of stuff. And it looks a lot better. So I might actually like see if uh, we do like a little challenge or something and play each other using uh worms Armageddon with the updated patch. Cause I can actually record it now. So it's cool. Forward to it. Nice. Uh, now moving on to the bargain bin uh, this week, very short, uh, we really only had uh, things in the PC space, so the Epic Game Store. At the moment, as we flagged last week, next up, Hero and Tacoma are free right now. Uh, so jump on the Epic Game Store, download these. They'll always be associated with your account. And then they'll be available for the week up to about Thursday. And then you have 20XX, Baroni, and then Super Brothers, Sword and Sorcery EP, all going free uh, next week. So... I always think it's smart to just jump on, download them. You don't actually need to download the games. It's just attach them to your account and you always have them there just in case you ever want to play them. Any of those games that are sort of interesting you? I've always been interested in trying Super Brothers, Sword and Sorcery. Um, the Those devs are, you know, they've got a very good reputation um, in, I guess, you know, in the industry, but... Below probably didn't hit like they were expecting to, considering that game was in development for so long. But hey, it's free. Um, it's certainly worth a shot. Mm, yeah, and for me, I think 20XX is uh, interesting. It's like a roguelike uh, Mega Man style kind of game. So, I mean, that sounds pretty cool to me. So I might check that out, actually. And moving to our feature segments, I, I wouldn't position this as a review, but just kind of maybe you know, bit beyond first impressions. I actually finally received Paper Mario. Uh, context is I've never actually played the Paper Mario series. So I don't have any of that sort of, you know, thoughts around the RPG elements. And I've played maybe 10 to 15 hours of this game. And I'm really digging it. Like, I don't love it, but I really think it's a very well-written game, very fun. And for me, sort of just, you know, it, it's good to have games that, they give you a look at them that it's not necessarily ultra challenging, but it's just fun to play through. And the whole battle system being sort of almost like a puzzle game more than anything else. Like I've really enjoyed it and I've really thought it's really, really cool. And I can understand people looking at it and going, you don't gain a lot from actually battling. So it's almost like optimal to skip it, but I actually enjoy the battles and each of the battles, it's like a set structure of how it works. So it's like a puzzle where you have a disc and you can slide the pieces or you can spin them and you've got to try to arrange the opponents in a certain way 
so then you can do your turn-based move against them i don't know i just really like it and as i said the art style and the writing in this game is amazing i know that that's always been huge reps uh for the series even for entries that people really haven't loved um and i could see the point that people make about if there were the rpg elements maybe that would add to the game yeah i can see that but as the base level of the game i've really enjoyed it and for me it's one of those games i guess the reflection on the game is i'll probably look at it and go i'll probably go through and 100 percent this game hey do you do you think you're going to pick it up at some stage or um, you sort of just uh you know got so many games in the back yeah i think that's probably the case is um there's also so many switch games that i haven't played like i haven't yeah. even played Link's awakening uh remake um i just got xenoblade so you know that's that's a big that's a huge game um yeah, haven't played three houses so if i'm going to play any game on a switch it's going to be um one of those ones that's already come out but it is it is very um heartwarming to see that you know paper mario's um it's the origami king's actually got a you know pretty pretty positive reception um there's as you said there's definitely people that are still missing um those rpg elements but honestly the rpg elements of the paper mario games i'm most familiar with thousand year door the one on gamecube They've always been very surface level, anyway. Honestly, um, mm. yeah, they're not. They almost were just like a means to an end. Okay, we this is an RPG. We need experience, or we need a couple of like things you can equip. It's. I get the idea of, you know, there's. Uh, does that mean there's no incentive to do battles? Because I find that there are some. There's. Games I've played where you don't get XP, but they're structured like RPG battles, and you do think, well, what's the point in actually doing this? But other than that, I think, you know, the the most important part about Paper Mario games is is the charm and is the world um, and mm. the cool little gameplay elements that they add to it. So I think as long as you've got that and it appeals to people, um, I, I understand that Sticker Star especially was probably the most maligned one in the series so far. And a lot of that was because people just didn't like the gameplay systems. It was less so about, yeah. oh, it's not proper RPG. It's more what they added to it people didn't like. And from what I've heard about this is that the things that are new, unique to this game that are actually quite enjoyable to most people. So, Yeah, and it seems all like very streamlined and it's just, it's just a fun romp. Like, you know, it's not ever going to be game of the year material for me, at least. Um but it's just a great like Nintendo style game. You know, it's got the charm that Nintendo seems to be able to infuse in their games. And, you know, there's like little callbacks on nostalgia. It's not overwhelming or, you know, you know, like for me personally, like when I watch a Star Wars film these days, it's like little nods to the fan and I'm like, oh, it's so thick the way they do it. They probably got a lot better in the last movie, but, you know, with Mario, I just find whenever they do things and they give little hints to you, it's just really charming the way they do it. And it's never overbearing for me. Um, and as I said, you know, I'm really loving it. Like so far, I'll, I'll play it more. And, you know, I don't think I'll share any further thoughts unless I think something totally different. But yeah, it's a really good game. And it's kind of what I expected from the game. And yeah, I think that people are very wedded on the RPG elements. And there's, it's almost like going to always lose you know, from a Metacritic perspective, like I feel like it's always going to lose like five points just for the fact of its heritage. And I personally don't think that's very fair. Um, but at the same time, I understand that, you know, people kind of want a style of game that Nintendo just aren't happy to make or not willing to make. And it, like, I get that because 
I would love them to make a Metroidvania, uh, like first party, you know, in-house Metroidvania, like Metroid 5. I, like that would be the biggest reveal for me, like if they made a Metroid 5. Uh, but I just get it. Like they just don't want to do that and they don't want to make an F-Zero, is it? F-Zero game. F-Zero, just... come on. It's been so long. Yeah, but it's, you know, at least with Nintendo, they generally try to uh, come up with new concepts, new gameplay styles, and new things to throw at the player and then to their developers. So there's pros and cons to it. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just the way they are. They're a weird developer, but I kind of love that about them. So yeah, no, I sort of give this game a thumbs Dude, up overall. Uh, it's definitely the last F-Zero playing. game was in 2004. Come on. <laughs> well, you know, I was, I, I'm a huge Advance Wars fan and yeah, that's another series that they've just forgotten about. I get that Fire Emblem, but it is a different game. But yeah, yeah they're just, they're weird in that way. And they're just always going to be that way, I think. And um, yeah, I don't think they're ever going to make a Paper Mario RPG style game ever again. Just can't see it happening. But everyone's going to talk about it every time one of these games come out. So, you know, and, and I mean, that's a bit of a segue into our final topic, which just, you know, I know we have touched on it, but just probably closing thoughts around it. Just on our perspective and thoughts around people's reaction to the showcase is just the fact that we've had a couple in the last few weeks uh, and reveal events. And like, I was blown away at how negatively people treated the Nintendo direct mini, but then man, people really like have been a bit negative about the Xbox game showcase. Like, you know, what are your sort of initial thoughts just around the fan reaction of these events? It's okay to be disappointed. Um, about things and it's okay to voice that disappointment um but to i guess first of all on the nintendo front to expect things and to hype things up yourself and be disappointed and then lash out not only at let's say nintendo but also other people for just leaking the fact that one was happening is just absolutely ridiculous you just that's so childish and as i was talking about before it just it just gives our industry a bad name. Um, not that not that it's heard yeah. outside of our industry, you know, like, oh, negative reaction about Nintendo. Like, people on the street that don't care about games aren't going to hear about it. But it it just serves to, you, you know, we, gaming has always struggled to get to the point where it is respected as essentially an art form or a medium. Yeah. And that just, that just sets us back each time when people are childish about it. Um, and you know, not to say that it's a recent thing. You know, you had the you know the console wars, Sega versus Nintendo fanboys, and you know PlayStation versus N sixty four. It's always been that. But when you suddenly add social media into the mix and all these ways that people can now communicate it, people just seem to lose um, maturity very quickly about this stuff. And you always hear look, you're always hearing the negative minority. Um, majority of people are cool, but they just don't care enough. Or they might be disappointed they just care enough. You're always hearing that, we talked about zeros and tens, right? You're always hearing both extremes. But like that Nintendo thing, I thought that was disappointing in some ways, but it's also they didn't hype it up to be something more than it was. With Xbox, I think they gave people what they needed to at this point. But again, it's okay to be disappointed. Just don't be idiots about it. Yeah, and I, it's funny because, you know, I always fundamentally say, hey, you own your feelings, you feel whatever you want to feel. There is a part of me, though, that feels that and thinks 
you know, you do need to set expectations in your own mind correctly. Oh, yeah. Like, and, and be fair against what they're portraying and putting out there and sort of saying it is. And like, especially in the Nintendo case, it kind of pissed me off actually, because, you know, they were really clear that, you know, they all Bart said, hey, you're saying that there's going to be a Metroid game by way forward. There isn't going to be a Metroid game by way forward. And the amount of times I've seen on YouTube and Twitter and things like that, people mocking up, oh, this is, you know, what the game's going to look like and going to say, you know, oh, what Mario game's going to announce or what Smash Brother character is going to get revealed or it actually really pissed me off because it was like, what can you do as a company when <laughs> you're, you're, you know, at times idiot fan base is out there like saying stuff where you've literally explicitly said, this is not going to happen. So don't expect it. And then they've gone off and expected it and then got annoyed that it didn't happen. And I, I do feel like you kind of have an obligation as an industry to call it out. You know, when people are being stupid about these things, because we'll never get the level of respect. I think it actually deserves if those kind of elements are tolerated as, as much as they are, you know, and even now it's like IGN, I do see them kind of, Oh, so disappointed with that. I'm like, yeah, I get it. Disappointed. I feel like even disappointed is a bit heavy. It's just like, you know, it wasn't that appealing, but it kind of like they framed it as it wasn't going to be the most appealing thing in the first place. Only 10 minutes and only get to cover sort of, you know, third party stuff generally. Yeah. I, the thing, the thing with this whole stuff is that I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. You know, we've we've given social media has given these people platform, and they're going to use it. But as yeah. you said, like I think more people need to call it out. You know, and it's very difficult for companies to call it out specifically, like that are like say holding these events. But I think news outlets, the media, and and they they they've been better with this in recent times, but. Like, whenever there's review bombing, they need to have things out there, opinion pieces saying, like, this is ridiculous. Like, grow up, people. Yeah. Um, just everything to do with... Ah, oh, just like... The Last of Us, you know, is, is, is we're talking... This is obviously not a showcase, but everything around that. It's obviously... People are just idiots about this stuff. And when it comes to Xbox, you know, that's why I, I really wanted to mention that earlier that these are games they were focused on games that were in game pass so they weren't going to have yeah. big witcher 3 style oh i should say like cyberpunk style cyberpunk, kind of yeah. announcement they did mention cyberpunk yeah that though. was pretty funny but um but they did have like oh <laughs> here's funny. a brand new big title um it, it was just things that they had control of or that they knew was in game pass but you know i guess the expectation was they're going to show us everything they've got which is not the case, you know. They've they've got they're running events are all throughout the year, so they've got to also have more announcements for those events. And so, sure, the next one might focus on probably the price and potentially the lower, you know, the hardware side of things as opposed to games. But yeah, it is. I think just just thinking of you know Smash Brothers stuff and their community, you see this all the time about. Okay, there was a Pokemon Direct. Oh my god, they're going to announce a Pokemon character. Oh, they're going to do this and do this. Oh, they're going to do this and do this. And then you get so disappointed and pissed off when they don't do something that just doesn't make sense. 
Well, Kira's or, like, here's an, here's an arms character. Yeah. <laughs> here's a fire emblem or, character. Unless that doesn't make sense and more like, well, they haven't said anything about that and you're kind of now going to be pissed off at them for doing something that you thought may happen. I just grab yeah. people. Yeah, and, and you know, I know that um, Furukawa, who's the president of Nintendo, he's kind of like come out and said, you know, they, they're going to constantly look at the format and whether even a direct makes sense. And I actually think they've always been a bit ahead of that communication to their customer base, you know, introducing the directs in the first place. It's now kind of almost the industry standard, especially with COVID. But there is actually massive downsides to it. And there's almost a mentality now, in my view, that people want that, oh, and hey, just one more thing, you know, that kind of classic Steve Jobs thing. It's become to me a bit of a meme and, you know, almost every presentation they have, you know, Xbox, PlayStation, you know, Nintendo, everyone's expecting the one more thing and it's going to blow you away, right? And you probably have one of those a year that actually works. Like in terms of that is a, hey, there's something that people don't know about. For me, like last year, remember it was last year? Last year, um, the Zelda 2 reveal was just like, holy hell. Like I was, I know you're not a big fan of that game. Amazingly, you're like the one person in the world that doesn't like it, but, um, <laughs> but I love that game so much. It's honestly like would be in my top 10 games of all time and the sequel coming out and you feel like, yes, that sequel is going to come out on the switch could come out in the two year time horizon. I'm so amped for that game. That's a, that's a like, yeah, a worthwhile, like one more thing, but I get the sense that people are looking at it and going, they want that from every presentation and then, like, hello, it's just not possible. It's not the way the world works. It's even the way yourself works. There's nothing that is going to hype you up every week to that level. That's kind of the point of it. It's like, oh, I've been waiting 20 years for an F-Zero game. So when it comes out, you're going to be like, holy hell, look at that F-Zero. It's a new one. That's awesome. You can't do so, that every week. And To play a little bit of devil's advocate though, um, Nintendo doesn't have a lot of titles on the horizon now. Um Yes, and, that's true, and you know, and, but that that they do they do not want to put a date out there and miss it. No, they I know, doing but that, man. I think that not for this one because they set the expectations very clearly. What this was, um, they also have a lot of titles that they haven't spoken about in a while now. Metro Prime's probably not there yet, right? But Bayonetta, like at that at some point, they're going to have to talk about that. It's been what two years at least since that was announced. Oh yeah, and ages. Yeah, so yeah. I can get that people are frustrated by not hearing about some of this stuff. That, that there's not much on the horizon right now, and the things that are on the horizon, there's they don't know anything about it. But the point is, it was not going to be shown here. Don't act like a spoiled toddler. That you Ooh. know, like seriously, that's it. Seriously, like we, you know, <laughs> it's, it's true. It's the, true. The way you respond to things really shows your um, how mature you are and to go to and to you know, go out like, there and just 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 act like you were entitled to getting an announcement about mario remasters in a third party eight minute direct oh, is just ridiculous and and i know that everyone just views it and i'm probably wrong and i'm not saying it's not going to happen but everyone views the whole mario remaster collection whatever that's shaping up to be or not be as like a guarantee. Like I never think any of those things are a guarantee until they're announced. Um, but yeah, there's a sense of entitlement. Like if that game does not come out this year, that collection or like, I'd love if they called it Mario all-stars two. Um, 
But if that doesn't come out, people are going to lose their plot, like lose the plot, like absolutely lose the plot. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like to me, it may never come out in my mindset, but this is one thing about gaming and I love gaming and I'm really like, you know, you know, I think like it's such an amazing art form, but it it is like these type of things that it's almost a bit embarrassing being a gamer sometimes because of these people in the community that you just generally don't get in a lot of other artistic pursuits as much. You know, yes, the Marvel fandom is a bit cringy and oh, things you, like you that. You see but... it in like the Game of Thrones people and stuff like that as well. You know, there's definitely... Yeah, there's... But, it, but it's not the whole industry No, though. no, that's <laughs> right. true. It's, you definitely see it in, let's say, like TV series and stuff when people are... But yeah, nothing yeah, course, like the level of but games. Yeah, but that's the, I feel like sometimes with gaming, it's like... You know, I, I like watch a lot of, uh, you know, content creators and I'm like, am I the only one who's like, yeah, sure. I wasn't blown away by it, but you know, people going, oh, the Xbox thing was really disappointing. The Nintendo switch presentation was horrible. I'm like horrible. Like, ah, oh, like I, I'm just out of kilter with most people. Like, I'm not saying it was great, but you know, you got to check the expectations. I oh. think with like where oh, it's at, I, you know, they did have I, WWE battlegrounds in there. So <laughs> sure but like you know that's not the whole presentation the whole shimigami tensei 5 thing i think that looks sick like that's that's really cool and sure maybe they shouldn't have done it in a in direct mini and they like i actually would prefer if nintendo almost went away from the directs and just released you know like pretty much what they did with paper mario oh. like that came out of the blue that wasn't in the direct and it was just like hey paper mario is but coming i think out if too. you sparingly um, they're such good hype pieces, so I would be very disappointed if they didn't didn't do those anymore. But I think this was an example of where I don't think this was appropriate. Um, this particular one, well, it didn't land, and I'll, I'll give that. You know, like I think that people are acting crazy, but it didn't land. Ultimately, marketing, and you you know you know a hell of a lot more about marketing than I do. You know you can't say the customer's wrong in the end of the day. And the Nintendo fandom as a whole said this was a massive dud, like one of the worst sort of in the direct banner. Um, so that's not working. Um, and look like from a Nintendo point of view, I'm super confident that they will have a banging, you know, holiday title. And, you know, I don't know if you're willing to guess, but my guess will be out of things we don't know and things that aren't necessarily rumored, I feel like there'll be Mario Odyssey 2 released at the end of the year, like alongside, you know, and to compete against quote unquote, um, you know, PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X. Do you, do you have any views on what you think? Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and possibly depending on how far the Zelda sequels along, um, that could also take its place. Well, and uh, yeah, I was going to go to that extreme. I was, because look, I think Odyssey 2 for me, I feel like it's almost a certainty because it was really, really clear that they were making DLC for that game and it was shaped up for DLC. And then all of a sudden there was no DLC at all on the horizon. And I know they never announced there was going to be DLC, but there was a lot of like obvious hints that there were, there was going to be DLC in that and game. Just the, just the structure and, of the game and the whole yeah. concept of going to different worlds that look completely different from each other is perfect for... Like, there's so much untapped potential there, just like there was untapped potential in Galaxy as well. Um, and you saw that the yeah, process and, there. So. And exactly. And that, that's what I was going to touch on. You know, like, even the world map had, you know, a hint to Isle of Defino and, 
you know, they never touched on that in the actual main game. And I feel like the exact same thing happened with, I believe is going to happen with Galaxy where, you know, they took a different take on Mario and the sort of 3D platform elements with how it was made. And basically they started making a, almost a DLC version of of Galaxy called 1.5 and then it evolved into Mario Galaxy 2. And I feel like, you know, you, you even read in the interviews that was so energized by the Cappy concept that that mechanic, you know, they, I think they've just, they actually did say they had so many ideas that they left on the table with Odyssey and they, they already felt like it was a huge game in and of itself. I feel like Nintendo, the style of developer that they are, they're probably just going, let's just keep going, make it a DLC and then go, oh, well, look, this is going to be a fully fledged game. So I really feel like there's a huge chance that they'll have, odyssey 2 and and this is kind of wild if they do this and zelda to release almost at the same time for holiday 2020 to compete against the ps5 and the xbox series x and i think that that would be sick if they oh, did now, that. now you've just got me thinking about a way forward developed metroid oh, oh my like, god <laughs> i didn't even i hadn't even I heard of that, that that's insane so that would be the number one thing for me. Like that, I, I think out of everything, just having Metroid Five would just like I, I would be like in heaven, man. Like because it's been what that came out. Metroid Fusion was like two thousand and two from memory. I mean, like, you, they did they did it's have been Samus, insane how long um, it's been. Returns, which is obviously a remake, but that was like it was a remake in almost name only. Um, there's so much added to that. That's the closest I've gotten. So, yeah, and I like that game. It was and, great, you know, because that was from um, the Spanish developer Mercury Steam from memory. It was a great game, but I want to see a continuation on the series. You know, and same as Zero Mission. I love Zero Mission, but I just want to see I've a got, new. I've got it. Like Metroid Other M two. <laughs> you know, Nintendo. You can't put anything past them. That could happen. <laughs> There's e- even really more crazy. Samus mental breakdowns <laughs> and voice acting. <laughs> um, yeah, that that would be the most hype announcement for me. But I don't think that would get anyone moving because Metroid just never sells. Like even Prime never sold that well. Like it was okay, but it wasn't anything like crazy. So, and was there anything else you wanted to add just around the fan reaction to these showcases and reveal just events? Grow up, people. That's all. <laughs> Sweeney told you. <laughs> Awesome. So that wraps us up for this week's episode. Uh, make sure you reach out to us on bigwigpod at gmail.com or at bigwigpod on Twitter. Uh, leave us a five-star review. It will really help grow the podcast. Uh, and we'd love to hear your questions or thoughts um, or challenges to what we're saying about expectations. Uh, with that, bye-bye. See ya.